it is Monday, August the 21st, and we are on Fan for Racing Radio for our Watkins Glen NASCAR Race Review and Hot Topic Sound Off discussion with our Fan for Racing crew. In our first half hour, we're going to start with the short track news. Then we're going to review the Arkham and Art Series race at Watkins Glen International. Uh, they had a very busy weekend this week uh, because after that, we reviewed the Arca West race at Evergreen Speedway. At the top of the next half hour, we're going to review the Arkham and Art Series race at Illinois State Fairgrounds. So three races this weekend in the Arkham and Art Series. Uh, Afterwards, we'll briefly update the next race for the NASCAR Truck Series, and then we'll review the NASCAR Xfinity and the Cup Series races at Watkins Glen. That means that we're going to start our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off discussion a half hour early tonight, starting at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, And we'll end our episode with that discussion with our Fan for Racing crew. Sal Segallo will be joining us shortly. I know he uh, comes right from work and uh, still needs to get himself set up and everything uh, before he comes on. So while we wait for him, I will get into some of the short track news uh, from this past weekend of racing. Uh, First of all, ASA Stars National Tour Points Leader Ty Majeski has entered this weekend in the Glass City 200. So uh, he is running for a championship in both the Truck Series as well as the ASA Stars National Tour. So he's on point. We'll have to see how that all plays out for the rest of the season. Also, a new season of MAV-TV Short Track America begins with a modified at Stars Speedway. Uh, that's tonight at 7 p.m. on MAV-TV. Hope you got your uh, DVR set for that. And then one fan will win $1,000 for attending Five Flags Speedway uh, Mobile Pro Late Model Races. So uh, you'll have to go over to Racing America and read up more about that. <clears throat> All right. Uh, also, one last thing is where uh, Leave Racing America is Joey Pole. Schools the rookies and returns to the ACT Spring Green Victory Lane at Seekonk. So uh, definitely want to read about that. I'm going to move over now to uh, Flow Racing, and we'll check out the news there. Uh, Bowman Gray Stadium season ends with a wild and dramatic moment. You'll definitely want to check that out over at flowracing.com. And 19 years later, Dale McDowell wins the topless 100 at Batesville again. Uh, Another uh, interesting uh, uh, video over at uh, Flow Racing that you'll want to check out. Uh, Also, uh, entries for a new format info for the 23 World 100 at Eldora Speedway. That is posted at Flow Racing. Uh, That, of course, is a dirt race. And um, limited passing disappoints the topless 100 field. So apparently um, there were some mixed feelings on that race. And there is uh, a couple of different articles about that. 
Moving over to pavement, uh, the 23, okay, we've got uh, Landon Huffman wins the Cars Tour, Tour at Old North State Nationals. You can read about that uh, flow racing, but you can also read about that over at your track scene. There was a big payout for that race, uh, 30K, so uh, a big payout for Landon Huffman. Uh, what types of cars are used in NASCAR racing? An interesting article about that over at Flow Racing. And an update on Matt Hirschman following modified crash at Thompson Speedway. So uh, Matt Hirschman is going to undergo surgery, uh, recovering from injuries he sustained during the crash on Wednesday's NASCAR Wheel and Modified Tour event at Thompson Speedway Motorsports Park. So uh, he is undergoing that surgery uh, today to repair a broken left ulna suffered in that crash. And uh, we, of course, wish him all the best uh, for uh, his recovery. Uh, Joining me now is our co-host for tonight, and that is Sal Segala. Sal, how are you doing out there on the West Coast? Well, we're doing good. Got some sun today, so looks like Hillary uh, passed on through, and she's on her way to uh, another destination. <laughs> well, I hope she stays away from Illinois, uh, but we'll see what happens here in the next few days. They said she was uh, heading, heading towards the Midwest. Huh? They said she was headed towards the Midwest, Indiana, Illinois. Iowa. She likes corn. <laughs> okay, Sal, you're not making me feel very good about this. No. Nah. When I looked at the radar earlier, it looked like it was more toward Canada, but we'll see what happens. Yeah. We're talking about. Yeah, it's, it's... Uh, go, ahead. go ahead. We're talking about short track uh, news right now. And uh, I was just covering some of the things that uh, flow racing, but I want to move over to short track scene um, because there's some interesting articles over there as well. The ARCA Midwest Tour, Gabe Summers breaks through for his first MWT win of the season. So I guess he's been knocking on the door, and he finally uh, broke through this weekend. Oh, okay. There we go. I'm there. All right. Also, a redemption win for the uh, dirt on dirt for Trayton Lapovich in NASCAR's Henty Series. Again, you can read about both of those over a short track scene. Um, so, a lot going on in the short. What about yeah, the short track world? We got the SRL is it won't oh actually the SRL National is going to um, to Lebanon Speedway it hasn't been Lebanon has been closed for the last uh, three four five years so they're mm-hmm. opening and they're they're going to have a they're going to have an event there on Thursday night you can catch that on uh, Race in America um, it actually cool. it's a point race for the SRL yeah it's a point race so you'll see all the big names Bubba Pollard will be there. Um, Stephen Nassie, uh, 
Uh, Jeremy Doss from our area will be there. Derek Thorne is uh, will be driving the number seven um, car for uh, Schaefer Motorsports, so he'll be there too. That'll be Thursday night. And the Spinner Southwest Tour JM Environmental Wild West Shootout for $10,000 to win the Pro Late Model Labor Day 100 uh, will be taking place at Stockton 99 Speedway. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's in two weeks. Yeah, that's well, in a couple. Be the, um, yeah, it'll be the doggy doggy dog. Um, John <laughs> Moore, who drives a number twenty-seven, who drives a number twenty-seven car, he he sponsors a lot of these, puts up the ten thousand dollars to win. So um, because he does that, they let him name the races. So he names. If you notice when they have names like that, just go check out any ACDC album. And that's mm-hmm. where John gets the name, names from. He gets it from, uh, from the ACDC albums. Okay. Uh, so that's all an ACDC songs. Yeah. Okay. We're on 10-minute segments tonight, uh, Sal, so uh, we're going to have okay. to move on. There's three ARCA series races from this past weekend. Jesse Love won the first one. Uh, he denied Connor Zilich at Watkins Glen in order to earn his fourth consecutive ARCA victory. It was his eighth victory of the season. Jesse Love has been on fire. That was a really good race for those of you who got to see it. Um, It was a last second, last 100 foot pass for the win. He didn't need no laps until he got to the, came down and made the pass and crossed the checker flag. Yeah, he, he really is. had two competitors, Brett Cruz and uh, Connor Zilich. And, yeah, I think Jesse Love was as uh, surprised as anybody uh, that he was able to walk away with that victory. Oh, that was a, that was a crazy – I didn't think he was going to – I didn't think he was going to catch him, but he uh, – he got him now, and actually, that was the first win on the weekend for Venturini Motorsports, who had, who was oh, in, involved in all three, um, yeah, who was involved in all three um, different uh, ARCA races this weekend. That's true. Uh, with the final caution and subsequent rain shower creating a conundrum that saw most of the field take on rain tires, Zilich knew he had to be conservative with the treacherous conditions while also keeping love and the others behind him. Uh, his cautious strategy didn't work out in his favor, though, with love muscling his way around Zilich in the final corner to steal that victory. Although the damp track was challenging for everyone during the one-lap shootout, Zilich believed he could have been slightly more aggressive. Uh, but uh, I think... Uh, um, Jesse Love took advantage uh, of that cautious strategy and uh, took over that win. Yeah, and I think I think Zilich's car was hurt too. It looked like uh, when he was, you know, Did they were it? coming on that down that last lap. Yeah, his car looked like it was like there was something wrong with it. So um, either way, it was a it was a pretty awesome um, it was a pretty awesome victory. Okay, well, it was Jesse Love coming in first, then it was Connor Zillish. Uh, then you've got Brett Cruz in the number 25, William Sawalich in the 18, Dale Quarterly in the number four, round out the top five. The next five drivers for Chris Wright, 
in another uh, Venturini uh, Motorsports vehicle. Uh, Andy Jakaliak ended up in seventh place. Zach Karen in eighth. Stanton Barrett finished in ninth. And Jake Finch rounds out the top ten there. Any thoughts about those top ten finishers, Sal? Yeah, it was just it was a it was a pretty good like I said it was a pretty good race to watch um you know uh you know from Watkins Glen and uh, once again you know congrats to uh, um, Jesse Love for for um, uh, picking up the win. Yeah, eight wins on the season. He's just really been on fire. Uh, he had four consecutive wins. He had a chance at maybe uh, breaking the record and or tying. Uh, some of the drivers in the past that have had uh, five consecutive wins, uh, that would have included, let me see if I can find those names. Uh, All of a sudden those names are eluding me. Yeah, here we go. if he won the next two races, that would have made six consecutive wins. Uh, and he could have broke the all-time record that currently stands at five victories between Tim Steele, Bruce Gould, Jack Bowser, and Harold Smith. As we now know, he did not win uh, those next two races. But he, after that uh, race at um, Watkins Glen, he certainly had a chance to do that. Just an unbelievable season for uh, Jesse Love. Oh, yeah, he's having an incredible season. He really is having an amazing season. Um, Now, just to kind of help familiarize people with Connor Zilich, uh, he has experienced two full-time seasons in the Trans Am Championship TA2 class. but Cruz, he actually looked like a season. I'm sorry, I said Zillich, who has experienced two full-time seasons in the Trans Am TA2 class. He looked like a seasoned road course veteran uh, swapping positions with love throughout the race, and they were teammates in this race. So uh, they were running second and third when that last uh, caution came out. So... Uh, Zilich, uh, uh, he had to deal with a broken sway bar arm. So that's uh, the issue that Zilich had on that last restart. Yeah, because, when he, like I said, when he was coming around the corner, he could see sparks. Sparks mm-hmm. coming out from uh, sparks coming out from underneath the car. Okay. So uh, normally we would go over the points right now, but I'm going to save the points until after we go through the Illinois State Fairgrounds race that took place on Sunday. Uh, Let's go ahead and move on to our notes here. I sent you the notes for the ARCA Menard Series race, Uh, actually the ARCA West Series race because they also raced this weekend at Evergreen Speedway, the Napa Auto Parts 150. And Sean yeah, Hingarani. Huh? Yeah, go ahead. Sean Hingarani, he actually scored his fourth win of the Arkham Arts West season 
in that race at Evergreen. He started second and passed the General Tire Pole Award winner, Tyler Wright, for the lead on lap 56 and led the rest of the way in order to take that victory. Uh, he combined it with the combined with the fourth place finish by Landon Lewis. Hing Ronnie now leads the Harker Menard Series West standing by one point with four races remaining. I said a tight points battle. Rifle won the season opener at Phoenix Raceway, finished second in his second race for Todd and Kelly Souza's Central Coast Racing Team. Rifle had a career best 55 laps, and he also earned his first career general tire pull award in qualifying. He is the 201st different driver to earn at least one West Pole. And then we had Cole Raz, who made his second career Arkham Nard Series West start. For the second time, he finished third. He made his first start uh, a few weeks ago when they raced it um, at uh, Colorado. Yep, and now the second start here at Evergreen. Uh, Lewis earned his series-leading sixth top-five finish of the season, his second straight fourth-place finish, and he leads the series full-time drivers with a 5.38 average finish. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, it is. And then from there we go to um, Eric. Eric Nascimento also scored his second straight fifth-place finish and his third top-five finish of 2023. The drivers who finished first, third, fourth, and fifth in the series' previous round at Shasta Speedway, also finished in those same positions at Evergreen Speedway. Well, that's a coinkydink. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of <laughs> kind of crazy. And then um, Trevor Huddleston finished sixth, his sixth top ten finish in eight starts in 2023. Huddleston maintains the third position in the Arkham Arts Series Championship standings, four points ahead of Tyler Reif. Okay, and with 95 laps left, Hingarani has now led more laps than any other driver in the Arkham Menard Series West for this season. Trevor Huddleston is next up with 246, and Landon Lewis has led 222. They're the only drivers to have led more than 100 laps so far this season. And uh, uh, Tanner Rice who drives for Bill McAdally Racing, made contact with the turn one wall on lap 81 to bring out the race's second final caution caution flag. Right finished last in the 15-car starting field. Oh, that's a shame. Bradley Erickson finished ninth but made heavy contact with the turn one wall after the checkered flag doing significant damage to the rear clip of his race car. Erickson dropped one position in the standings. He now sits in fifth place. The next race for the Arkham and Arts Series West is the Napa Auto Care 150 at All-American Speedway in Roseville, California on Saturday, September 30th. The race will be streamed live on Flow Racing starting at 10.45 p.m. Eastern, 7.45 p.m. Pacific Time. Okay. And, uh, again, that was an exciting race. Um, and, again, it was a Venturini Motorsports driver winning that Venturini Motorsports we talked about Jesse Love being on fire, but Venturini seems to be on fire this season as well. Oh yeah, they um, 
you know, like I said, you know, they, uh, uh, Sean Hingarani, who also drives for Ventrino, picked up the second win of the weekend for, um, for, uh, uh, for Venturini. Okay. Uh, they have not updated the point standing, so uh, we can't – the only thing we can do is give you what the point standings were before the race. Uh, the updated point standings are not yet updated, but I would encourage everybody to check that out over at ArcaRacing.com. Uh, if you want to know what the current point standings, we do know Sean Hingarani is out front right now by one point over Landon Lewis. Yes, that we do know. That we do know. <laughs> um, okay, uh, did you watch that race by any chance, Sal? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I what were your thoughts? It was kind of. <laughs> Hey, they needed more cars. Oh, was, they didn't have enough cars? Well, they needed something. I mean, usually Evergreen is a, is a good racing track. It just wasn't um, – it's kind of sad to see the stands, you know, more than half empty, especially for a race at Evergreen because usually, they, you know, they pack out the stands. But um, the mm-hmm. racing really wasn't that um, – it really wasn't – once Sean got out front, that was it. It was just – basically everybody would just follow the leader the rest of the – the rest of the um, the rest of the afternoon. Sean got out there in front and, and dominated, and, and it was it. It was, it was – uh, Fifteen cars on that um, entry list. Uh, Sean yeah. Hingarani, as we mentioned, was first. Tyler Reifen, second. Cole Raz came home with that third-place finish. Landon Lewis finished in fourth. Then it was Eric Nascimento, Jr., Trevor Huddleston in sixth. Kyle Keller finished seventh. Jacob Smith, eighth, and Bradley Erickson in ninth with Todd Souza rounding out the top ten. So, yeah, um, disappointing finish for Tanner Reif with that incident that he had. Uh, but yeah, it's it's uh, been an interesting season for the Arkham and Art Series West. Yeah, it has. And once once uh, once um, Hank Ronnie got out there, he just he just stretched the lead out. I mean, there was nobody going to catch him. Yeah, they said it was a very uh, dominant race. Um, yeah, it was. Yeah, for for Sean and Venturini Motorsports. Um, and, again, I, I wish I could give you the point standings here uh, for these guys, but, uh, unfortunately, uh, they're not updated. So, uh, again, I really encourage everybody to come back. I will say you will be able to watch this race, uh, the Arkham Menard Series West race, that took place this weekend at Evergreen will be on CNBC as a delayed broadcast on September the 2nd at 9 a.m. Eastern Time. So set your DVRs for that race if you want to see a dominant win there. Uh, If you want to watch the one from Watkins Glen, you could probably watch the replay on the Fox Sports app because that race was run on Fox Sports 1. And same thing is going to be true with the uh, race Sunday 
at the Springfield Mile at the Illinois State Fairgrounds. Um, it was on streaming on Flow Racing, but FS1 um, also had that coverage um, available as well. So uh, it's it uh, those races on dirt are always fun to watch. Yeah, they are. I don't know why ARC has been slacking on the points, Daniel, lately. I don't know. It's hard to to cover that when we can, don't have the information available. Um, we're going to get ourselves a little bit ahead here, which is okay, because we can use the extra time for our Xfinity and our Cup Series review. Uh, let's go ahead and move over to the Arkham and Arts Series post-race notes uh, from Illinois State Fairgrounds. The Arkham and Arts Series had a double header this weekend right after they raced at Watkins Glen. They headed to Illinois for the Dutch Boy 100. And 15-year-old Brent Cruz dominated that race, winning from the general tire pole in just his second career Arkham Menard Series starts. Cruz led 64 of the race's 100 laps and was never lower than second in the running order throughout the day. Cruz is the 356th different winner in Arca Menards Series history. You can go ahead and take the next one, too, Jay, or Sal. Okay. Cruz made his Arca Menards Series debut at Watkins Glen International on Friday. He finished third behind race winner Jesse Love and runner-up Connor Zillich. Andres Perez Delara finished a career-best second in the Dutch Boy 100. He's now the second in the Arkham and Art Series Championship standings. He's eight points ahead of the third-place driver, Frankie Muniz. Arkham and Art Series Championship points leader, Jesse Love led 36 laps on his way to a third-place finish. Love entered the race with an opportunity to tie the all-time series record for most consecutive wins at five. A total of 13 drivers have won four consecutive races, a total of 18 times in Arkham and Art Series history. Drivers who have won four consecutive races in the Arkham and Art Series include Iggy Katona, Jack Harrison, Nelson Stacy, Harold Smith has done it twice, Jack Bowser has done it four times. There's also Ramo Stott, Bruce Gould, Tim Steele, Frank Kimmel doing it twice, Parker Kligerman, Ty, Chase Briscoe, Ty Gibbs, and Jesse Love. Springfield native Kelly Kowski finished fourth. His first top five finish, he finished fifth at Springfield back in 2020. William Sawalich spun in turn three on the final lap, giving up fourth position to Kowski. He recovered quickly and was able to finish the, cross the finish line in fifth place. I was so happy to see Ken Schrader was in this race. Yeah. Ken Schrader pitted early to remedy an overheating condition, losing a lap of the Schrader returned to the race to finish sixth, just one lap down. Schrader, the 1998 winner of Springfield, earned a seventh career Arc Renard Series top ten finish. Frankie Muniz finished seventh in his first ever race on a dirt track, breaking a two-race streak in which he finished outside the top ten. 
Open wheel standout Taylor Taylor Reimer made her Arca Menard Series debut with Victory Motorsports, finishing eighth place. John Garrett he scored his fourth top ten finish of the season in ninth place. That's his best career series finish. Brayton Laster finished 10th, driving for Rise Motorsports and team owners Tim and Rita Gillette. It's the first ever top 10 finish for both Laster and Rise Motorsports. Venturini Motorsports, they won all three Arkham Menard Series platform races held over the weekend. Jesse Love won at Watkins Glen on Friday. Sean Hingarani won the Arkham Menard Series race at Evergreen Speedway on Saturday. Saturday. And Brent Cruz won the Springfield race on Sunday. So a big, big weekend for Venturini Motorsports. Yeah, they're dominating the Arkham Menard Series uh this, uh, this season. Sean Corb made his first start at Springfield since 2011 and qualified an impressive, an impressive second. Corb was running among the top six throughout the early stages of the race before his engine overheated on lap 31, forcing him behind the wall early. Dale Quarterly was running among the top five all afternoon before he slipped out of the groove in turn two. He made significant contact with the wall, and that ended his day after 63 laps. The next race for the Arca Bernard Series is this is the Sprecher 150 at the Milwaukee Mile, a combination race with the Arca Bernard Series East. The race is set for 1 p.m. Eastern time on Sunday, August 27th, and it will be televised live on Fox Sports 1. Yeah, this is a big weekend for the Milwaukee Mile. I hope uh, they have a good turnout for that race. Um, again, I don't think we can give you the standings because I don't think it's been updated. Um, no, it hasn't. I don't think it's been updated yet. I think Andres Perez de Lora is now second, and it's not showing that on this uh points report. So, again, we encourage you to go to arcaracing.com to see the updated standings once they get that posted. Um, I'm going to look in my notes here and see if I happen to have No, I guess I don't. Uh, I can give you the points after yeah, I can give you the points after Watkins Glen. I don't think this includes um uh I don't think this includes the after the uh race that took place at Illinois State Fairgrounds. But Jesse Love is in the lead. Uh then it is per Andres Perez de Lara, Frankie Munoz in third, Christian Rose in fourth, John Garrett now in fifth place. A.J. Moyer in sixth, Brad Smith in seventh, Tony Breidinger in eighth place, William Sawalich in ninth, and Jack Wood rounds out the top ten. Those points go all the way from Jack Wood, who sits at 285 points, to Jesse Love at 659 points. Uh, So of those drivers, only seven of those drivers have raced all 13 races so far this season. 
Yes, it's gonna it's gonna be a uh, a washout by by Jesse Love. I mean, he's almost got the championship locked. I don't think anybody can um could take a loss to catch him. Wow. Wow, it's gonna be uh uh it's gonna be tough to catch Jesse Love, that is for sure. Um uh, but uh it was kind of refreshing to see somebody else win uh at the Illinois Dirt Race in that Venturini Motorsports organization. Um but uh I I think that they're still gonna have to get through Jesse Love for the rest of the season. Uh the next race for the Arkham Menard series, we mentioned it at the Milwaukee Mile. That's a, a double header with the Arca East, a combined race with the Arca East. It's one race, two series. And then the next race for the Napa for the Arca West is actually the Napa Auto Care one fifty. That'll be on September thirtieth at ten forty five PM Eastern. And that'll be over at All American Speedway. Uh, and Flow Racing will carry the coverage. Yeah, that's Bill his old uh, old track. His yes, it is. Oh, that'll be fun to see. Okay, now the Truck Series does not race this weekend. Their next race is coming up at the Milwaukee Mile uh, this coming weekend, Sunday, August the 27th, at 4 p.m. Eastern Time. They'll be racing the Clean Harbors 175. Uh, it will be televised at Fox Sports 1, as well as radio coverage on MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio. Uh, so watch for that race. Uh, NASCAR is returning to the Milwaukee Womp Mile for the Arthur race, the double um, combined race between the Arca Menard Series and the Arca East, as well as uh, the race that is uh, taking place by the Truck Series this weekend. So that's going to be huge. Yeah, it is, okay. is going to be huge. Um, actually, Sean, Sean Hingarani is going to be making his, his truck start. Oh, that would be awesome to see. Yeah, I'm this glad weekend, to do yeah, that. he's making a truck start in the, in the number 61 truck. Okay. All right, we're going to move on to the NASCAR Xfinity Series. They did race at Watkins Glen International in the Shriners Children 200. Sam Mayer was the winner at the age of 20, driving the number one Accelerate Pro's Talent Chevrolet for Junior Motorsports with crew chief Marty Lindley. Um, it was his second victory in 74 Xfinity Series races, his second victory in 15th top 10 finish this season. Uh, this is his first victory and third top 10 finish in three races at Watkins Glen. Sheldon Creed, I thought he was going to win that race. He posted his second top 10 finish in two races at Watkins Glen. It was his eighth top ten finish of the season. He finished in second. Parker Kligerman finished third, posting his second top ten finish in two races at Watkins Glen and his twelfth top ten finish of 2023. Chandler Smith, who finished eighth, was the highest finishing rookie of the race. Uh, And just to give you an overview of that race, uh, the Shriners Children's 200, Sam Mayer spun 
Ty Gibbs on an overtime restart to win the Xfinity Series race at Watkins Glen. Junior Motorsports driver Sam Mayer survived a full contact afternoon at Watkins Glen, contributing his own bump and run on that final restart to take the lead in overtime and hold off the field for his second career Xfinity Series win. Uh, Lining up in third on the overtime restart, Sam Mayer clashed with Ty Gibbs Sending Gibbs around, Sheldon Creed escaped from the with the lead, but Mayer got back by him, coming to the white flag where he went on to score the victory. It's a second win for Mayer, uh, both coming on in the last four races. Creed took the checkered flag in second, his best finish of the season. Parker Kligerman again was in third. Then it was Ross Chastain, Connor Mosack who earned his career-best finish, rounding out the top five. The next five drivers were John Hunter Nemechek in sixth, Cole Custer, Chandler Smith, Alex Bowman, and Jeff Burton, rounding out the top ten. Gibbs won both stages and led a race high 70 laps, but finished 17th after that spin in the first turn. There were nine lead changes among six drivers and five cautions for 18 yellow flag laps. The average speed of the race was 86.857 miles per hour. Uh, the margin of victory was .909 seconds between Sam Mayer and Sheldon Creed. What are your thoughts there about the top ten finishers? Oh. Yeah, that was a good that was a, a good finish. It's kind of funny because um, they were talking about um, – uh, about all the drivers who, who won who won the first two stages never came back to win the race. And Ty Gibbs was so dominant that it looked like nobody would touch him. And then um, when you heard um, when you heard uh, Sam Mayer's radio at the end, his crew chief there talking, and he was kind of talking about, you know, roughing up Ty Gibbs. You know, he owed him one. And his crew chief, you know, just kind of – kind of said, yeah, you know what, you know, you got to do what you got to do, you know, have your business. And um, it was a perfect, it was a perfect storm for, uh, for, um, uh, Actually, on Sam Mayer's radio, I think Sam, Sam Mayer, Mayer was yeah. a little upset about contact with Ty Gibbs. And the crew chief, Marty oh, yeah, Lennon, talked him down a little bit and said, uh, you got to focus on the end of this race and try to get the best finish you can get. So I, yeah, but, I thought but, it was but, uh, Dale Earnhardt Jr. on the broadcast that more or less was telling him, "You got to, no, you got to no. knock Ty Gibbs." The only way anybody's going to win this race is if they knock Ty Gibbs no, out was, of it. No, it was on his radio when when he was when they're coming up to the to start the to get the green flag before the before the last um, lap around. The, they had played the radio, and, and okay, and it must have been a little bit on. later then. Yeah, and and Tim and Sam Mayer were talking, and he just kind of like told Sam, you know, like you know, you just gotta do what you gotta do. But um, I thought it was, I thought it was kind of neat. I don't know. I'm I'm kind of with the fans on this one, you know, about you know, about not um not bringing the cars in, you know, at the end of the stages, you know, just leaving them out there. Mhm. You know, I don't know. I, I I've reviews on that, Sal, throughout the day. I've been listening to Sirius XM Radio. A lot of people are saying uh, it's time to bring the stages back. 
uh, on the road courses because these the races, uh, uh, some of these races, uh, it seemed like there was just one dominant driver and it was hard to pass. Well, no, and yeah. they feel like well, that's what I was saying. Yeah. yeah. That's what I was so saying, you know, it's to bring, yeah, yeah. you know, it's, it's to bring the stage breaks back, you know, bring them in, you know, you know, start over, you know, you know, yep. um, th- um, throw the caution, you know, then start them over again. Because, um, exactly. Make it a little more interesting. Oh, yeah. They they really need to. Okay. There were uh, 26 cars running uh, at the end of the race. Uh, of those 26, uh, 21 finished all 86 laps. Several cars did have issues. Blaine Perkins had a transmission issue that took him out of the race on lap 11. Uh, Jeremy Clemens had a suspension issue, took him out on lap 21. An accident for Josh Williams took him out on lap 23. Lap 37, Riley Erbst was out because of a suspension issue. Max McLaughlin had an accident taking him out on lap 43. On lap 45, it was uh, Stefan Parsons having a brake issue that took him out of the race. Stanton Barrett also had a suspension issue uh, that took him out on lap 56. Anthony Alfredo broke his axle on lap 61, uh, ending his day early. Uh, Actually, Ryan Ellis was still running, but he was multiple laps down uh, at the end of this race. Uh, Let's see, Brett Moffat also had a suspension issue. That took him out on lap 66. Uh, Lap 78, Taz was out because of an accident. And Kyle Busch had a transmission issue that also took him out of the race on lap 78. So a lot of uh, suspension and uh, transmission issues at this race, so. Oh, yeah, I mean, they're running hard. I mean, look at jumping up on the curb and stuff. But um, you know what? As a matter of fact, um, Austin Hill even made a comment about Sam Mayer after the race, too, and said that he wasn't too happy with the way he raced. Yeah, you know, he the end, you know, cause, cause, in the top three yeah, cause, to uh, finishing in the teens. Yeah, because he, he, was, he was part of it, you know. And, but Austin Hill came on, you know, and talked about talked about Sam Mayer, too. So, um, uh <laughs> Samir got the win, you know, and you know, so it's uh, it's um, it's gonna be it's it's uh, it's gonna be interesting. Yes, it is. It seems like uh, anything goes at the end of these races. Uh, I yearn for the days that we watch drivers use their talent to win instead of their bumper, but yeah, that's <laughs> we'll not gonna happen. happen. No, not the, I was just talking to a buddy today about that. And I, and I said, you know what, I, I said, NASCAR will never be about talent anymore. It's going to be about who can, you know, who can move, who, who can wreck, who to get the win. I go, I go, talent is out the door. Well, I hope you're wrong, but let's go over the points report. The points is um, Austin Hill is in first, followed by John Hunter Nemechek in second, Justin Algeier in third, Cole Custer in fourth, Sam Mayer in fifth, and Josh Berry sixth in the sixth spot. And then from there, then we go down to seventh is Chandler Smith, Daniel Hemrick in eighth. He's been quiet. We haven't heard nothing from Daniel Hemrick all season. He just kind of quietly holding on to his um, his chase spot. He is. 
is indeed. We haven't heard anything from Daniel this year. Ninth is uh, Sheldon Creed, who looked like he might have had a win. Tenth is Riley Herbst. He was another one that looked pretty strong at the beginning of the race and then ran into some issues himself. Had to, had to, had to leave the race and take a DNF. Eleventh um, is Parker Klingerman, and Sammy Smith rounds out uh, the top 12. Actually, well, Sammy, Sammy Smith, Smith has is, uh, the win. Parker's actually out. He's because, got the win, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Burton so has I, the actually, win. Places Parker. Yeah. So actually, it's, it's Parker Klingerman who's on the who's on the bubble. Yeah, this has been a really interesting. The arc, the Xfinity series has the most races left before they begin their playoffs. They've got three more races, including Daytona, August the 25th, and in September there's Darlington Raceway on the second. And they have their season finale on September 9th out of Kansas Speedway. So three more chances for those guys to get into the playoffs. And I tell you what, it's getting more and more intense the closer we get. Oh, yeah, it is. I mean, you just see that just this weekend, you know, with, you know, with, uh, while Kyle Busch never was a factor, but, with, you know, Ty Gibbs being a factor, you know, needing all those laps, you know, being a fast car, you know, and, um, you know, even as post-raced, you know, his post-race comments, you know, you know, directed at, um, at, um, at Sam Bear, you know, and, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know, I just, I don't know, I'm just not too, this, this well, person, they're fighting for playoff spots, you know. Yep, they sure are. Okay, we're going to go ahead and move over to the, uh, Cup Series, the NASCAR Cup Series, they raced the Go Bowling at the Glen, and William Byron was the winner at age 25, driving the number 24, Valvoline Chevrolet for Hendrick Motorsports with his crew chief, Rudy Fugel. It was his ninth victory in 205 Cup Series races, his fifth victory in 12 top 10 finish this season, and his fifth consecutive Cup Series win for Hendrick Motorsports at Watkins Glen. This is the first victory and third top ten finish in five races at uh, the Glen for Byron. Denny Hamlin finished second, posting his ninth top ten finish in 17 races at Watkins Glen and his 12th top ten finish this season. Christopher Bell finished third, posting his third top ten finish in three races at Watkins Glen. Ty Gibbs, who finished fifth, uh, was the highest finishing rookie of this race. Now, um, just to give you a recap of the race uh, that took place this weekend uh, at for the goal bowling at the Glen, William Byron pretty much dominated at Watkins Glen. At a- Okay, unfortunately, <laughs> we got kicked out of uh, Blog Talk Radio. I'm not sure where we left off, so. We left off on uh, on uh, William Byron 
uh, dominating the race. <laughs> okay. Um, well, William Byron did dominate that race. Uh, he finished first, of course, followed by Denny Hamlin in second, Christopher Bell, uh, and A.J. Allmendinger and Ty Gibbs round out the top five. Then it was Martin Truex Jr., Chris Buescher, Tyler Ruddick, Ryan Blaney, and Joey Logano rounding out the top ten. Byron led 66 of the 90 laps for the second week in a row. There was only one caution in the race. Chase Elliott, of course, ran out of fuel. He stopped on the track, causing a caution on lap 57, a big surprise to a lot of people. Elliott ended up finishing 32nd. With one caution, the race was completed in one hour, 58 minutes, and 44 seconds. Stage one was run by Michael McDowell, stage two by William Byron. There were six lead changes among five drivers and one caution for four yellow flag laps. The average speed of the race was 111.426 miles per hour. Quick thoughts about the uh, top ten here, Sal. Yeah, it was a it was a dominant like you said, it was a dominated race by uh, William Byron. I thought for a while, you know, I, I know Ty Gibbs getting a lot of a lot of slack. You know, a lot of people don't like him. You know, and whatever, but. You know, he ran a really good race on Sunday, and I actually thought that he might have had a chance to win there for a while. Yeah, um, me too. It was kind of it's kind of sad what happened with Chase Elliott running out of gas because I thought he would have had another chance to win, and either of those guys win, and they knocked Bubba Wallace right out of the right out of the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Um, well, Michael McDowell has a win, so he's already in. Yeah, Michael McDowell had his issues. He had two uh, pit road penalties that really just – Huh. Didn't, and then uh, didn't an electrical well issue his... took him out. Yeah, then the electrical issue took him out. So, um, uh, you know, I I think that one when they said that he ran through the through too many pit boxes, I kind of think that was kind of ticky tacky because he just clipped the corner of that one of the mm-hmm. one pit box, and there wasn't even nobody in there anyways. It was a it was an empty pit box. They said and. I mean, he just clipped the corner, and I think that was kind of ticky-tacky to call the penalty that they did. But you know what? Yeah, it was I guess. Close. Yeah, it was close. And but um, man, William Byron sure is coming around. Fifth win this season, and uh, yeah. you know he's uh, he's really looking looking good. You know, to make a good uh, ch- run at the championship. And I'll tell you what, a top five for Ty Gibbs that was pretty impressive as well. Especially on a, on yeah, a road course like Watkins Glen. Yeah, it was. And Todd Gilliland finished 11th, so. Yeah. Uh, Brad Keselowski and Kevin Harvick uh, kind of uh, uh, ended up um, clinching their spots in the in the point standings for the playoffs. Yeah, so there's only that one spot. Bubba Wallace's spot, the only one that's left. So, um, you want to cover the points? If we got to do. Yeah, if we got to do winner this week. Uh, he's going to get popped out of that out of that last spot. And well, as far as the points, you know, Bubba Wallace has a chance of winning that. He does pretty good on uh, super speedways. Yeah, so does so does Chase. So does uh. Yep. <laughs> so does Daniel Suarez. Dad, man, Daniel Suarez, gosh. I think He's it's going to be a knockout, drag out. Yeah. yeah. It's going to be an intense race. 
Let's cover the points. So the points, the points are um, Martin Truex Jr. is still leading the points. He'll probably end up, he will end up to be the um, the, the the final uh, final season um, the regular season champion. Eddie Hamlin's too far away. 39, 39 points out. And then third, we got William Byron. Fourth, you got Christopher Bell. Fifth, Kyle Larson. Sixth, Brad Keselowski. Seventh is Chris Buescher. And eighth is Ross Chastain. And then from there, then we go to uh, ninth is uh, Ryan Blaney. Tenth, Kevin Harvick. Eleventh, Kyle Busch. Twelfth, Tyler Reddick. Thirteenth, Joey Logano. Fourteenth, Bubba Wallace. Fifteenth is... uh, Ricky Stenhouse, and 16th is Ty Gibbs. So the way the points are going to work out, McDowell will get that spot and put Bubba Wallace on the on the bubble. Mm-hmm. So, uh, like I said, anything can happen. I mean, you still got Alex Bowman, who's who could possibly win. Also, Austin Cindric could win this good race. At, yeah, well, Alex Bowman runs good at um, at Daytona. Chase Elliott. And of course, uh, you know you have uh, Daniel Suarez, who also runs good at that on the super speedways. It's going to be an interesting race, that's for sure, and I, I can't wait to see how this continues, how this plays out. Um, we know the big one can happen at Daytona, and when the big one happens, it doesn't matter how good of a racer you are, you can be taken out through no fault of your own. So. We'll see what happens this weekend. It's the wild card uh, season finale for sure. Yeah, it is, and it's going to be exciting because even uh, you, you know, you you go down, you got Austin Dillon who's won at Super Speedways before too. So, mm-hmm. you know, they said seventeen you know, drivers can, he, have a chance of winning it, and I know Harrison Burton yeah. was saying he felt he had a chance to win it. So who knows? Chase Briscoe, the same thing. You never know. If there's attrition in some of these races, you can come up with a surprise winner at Daytona. It'll be interesting to see what actually happens. Exactly. Okay. It's going to be interesting. Sal, where are you going to be this weekend? I am going to Montana. Nice. My step my stepdaughter's getting married on Saturday. Well, I know you're not going to be able to do the show next Monday night, and so Jay and I are going to do a podcast uh, on Monday, and um, uh, we'll miss you, but we hope you have very safe travels on your way to your uh, daughter's wedding and back. And then the the following week is Labor Day. uh, Labor Day, and then the week, so we'll be... We'll be up in Stockton for that. So we're going to take well, a little vacation oh, from the vacation. Nice. Well, we're going to and do then, the show um, on Tuesday, the week of Labor Day. Okay. Then the weekend after that, we're flying out to Denver for the um, Greater uh, Greater Denver Bronco opening opening um, for the opening of the NFL season. Are you going to be able to do those shows 
the Tuesday night show for no, Labor I won't. Day? Okay, and what no, about I, the I following won't. week? The you following week when on... we get back. Yeah, because I'll, I'll be back. We're coming back from Denver Sunday night. So you won't be able to do uh, the 28th, the 4th, or the 11th? No, just the two. Just next Monday and the following Monday. Okay, but the 11th you'll be back? Yeah, the 11th I'll be back. Okay, I just want to make sure I've got it straight um, so that I plan accordingly. Well, we hope you have a very safe travel, Sal, and you get a chance to uh, see some races and uh, enjoy the wedding. Oh, yeah, we're looking forward to it. Okay. Um, So thanks for all that you do. And uh, we're going to cut it short for today, uh, but we'll be back back on uh, Thursday for our preview show. All right. Well, everybody have a good weekend. Have a good week. Have a safe Labor Day weekend. And we'll see you the weekend after Labor Day weekend. Okay. Thanks, Sal. Take care. You have okay. you enjoy right. your your time. Bye bye. Okay. Okay, come on. All right. Uh we are ready for hot topic sound off. I only have one of our members here. I hope they all saw the note, Mike. Welcome to the show. Uh hey yo, I guess uh well I know Jay's gonna be here. He talked to me earlier about it, so I would assume he should be here momentarily. We'll have to wait and see about Andy. Andy is now here. Welcome to the show, Andy. Hey, thank you, Sharon. How are you doing tonight? Well, I'm doing very well, thank you. We're glad to have you here. And I believe Jay will be joining us shortly as well for Hot Topic Sound Off. While we wait for him, Andy, why don't you uh, kick us off here tonight? Uh, yeah, actually just kind of looking down through here. Let's see, there's all kinds of uh, there's hot topics. There's a lot of topics. Um, <laughs> this one's pretty interesting. Um, we'll start off first with Netflix coming out, announcing today um, a NASCAR playoff documentary. Uh, I believe it'll air sometime next year. That's pretty cool news. Curious uh, what you think about that. Okay, Mike, what are your thoughts? I saw this as well. I'm really interested in it. Uh, remember, NBC Sports did Race for the Championship last year, and I thought it was a really, really well-produced uh, documentary, docu-series, whatever you want to call it. However, I think NBC really blew it with that series when it comes to how it was marketing, the time slot that it was put in, and the way they advertised to try and get people to watch it. It really didn't seem like it drew in a whole lot of people who weren't actively seeking it out. And I think that's really where NBC dropped the ball on. And as a result, the series really didn't see the kind of success that I think we as NASCAR fans really wanted it to see. Like I said, I watched it. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was excellent. Race through the championship didn't really work out for NBC, but here's hoping that Netflix is able to do a little bit better. Remember, Drive to Survive is an incredibly popular series on Netflix, and a lot of people credit the, that series on Netflix with the rising 
popularity of Formula One in the United States market. So hopefully Netflix puts the same kind of effort into producing and marketing their NASCAR series. Uh, if they have a title for it, I haven't heard it. Whatever their, their NASCAR product is going to be, hopefully they put that kind of effort into developing it and marketing it. And we see the kind of success from that that F1 has enjoyed from Drive to Survive. Okay. Uh, let me see if Jay is here. Uh, Jay is not here, so I'll go ahead and say my commentary. Um, yeah, I'm kind of excited about this, and, and for all the reasons that you mentioned, uh, Mike, uh, the other series, I uh, also watched it and enjoyed it, but it didn't seem to get any real traction. Um, but what I'm most excited about here is the executive producers here. You've got Connor Shell. Uh, and Libby Geist, both were behind The Last Dance, 30 for 30, O.J. Made in America. There's also uh, Aaron Cohen of Words Plus Pictures. Uh, ben Kennedy uh, is one of the executive producers, along with Tim Clark, Matt Summers, Callie Hare of NASCAR Studios. I thought that was interesting. And then Dale Earnhardt, Jr., uh, the NASCAR Hall of Famer is also one of the executive producers. That made me very excited uh, for this because I think the combination of all of those people being involved in this uh, are really going to make this a very hot series to watch in the early part of uh, 2024. Uh, there's going to be five 45-minute episodes, and um, uh, the showrunners are Jackie Decker and Tim Mullen. Uh, so I am uh, super excited about this, uh, and I, th I think that we've got a lot to look forward to. Uh, let me see if Jay's here yet. He is not yet here. I wonder if he got the time right. Um, Andy, give us your thoughts while I uh, text Jay. Yeah, I mean, I I will be interested to see, um, you know, how the final product is and, and, and what um, the program turns out to be. Um, hopefully, like Mike pointed out, you know, it's a good quality production, um, which will showcase the sport in a positive light. And, and, you know, I think the goal of it would be to get new new eyes on the sport. Um, you know, obviously what, what Formula One was able to do with its own documentary a few years ago, obviously was really big and instrumental in, helping grow their popularity. And I don't know if you'd see, you know, exactly the same type of out, you know, outcome here, but I think anytime you can, you can get, um, you know, new people interested in something, you know, or help create awareness to people who aren't already interested in, in NASCAR, I think that's a good thing. So hopefully, you know, it gets more people interested in the sport. I think that's probably the whole point of it. And if anything, it's, it's content for the fans too that are already watching the sport. So, um, yeah, I, I don't see it being a bad thing at all. And, and, you know, hopefully the, the production's a good quality and it'll be a good program. Okay. Mike, your follow-up. Really not a whole lot to add at this point. We just found out about the series yesterday or today that it was in development. Obviously, they haven't even started rolling film yet for it, aside from maybe some B-roll, because the playoffs hasn't started. So they're going to have to go through the production process to film everything during the upcoming NASCAR Cup Series playoffs. 
And it looks like I haven't seen a firm release date yet. They're saying something along the lines of the first quarter of 2024. I'm assuming that means the calendar quarter sometime between January and March. So hopefully we get to see a little bit of NASCAR content. It would be great if it came out to line up for kind of the hype train for the Daytona 500, maybe late January, early February. Give, give fans a chance to watch that series, get hyped up for it just in time for the 2024 Daytona 500. I don't know if the production schedule will allow that kind of timing to work out, but in terms of using that, that Netflix series to springboard into NASCAR itself, that would probably be the most opportune timing. So here's hoping they can make that happen. Okay, Jay is now here. Welcome to the show, Jay. We're talking about the Netflix documentary. Your thoughts about that? Well, first I'd have to say uh, we got to work on this reading an entire message and, and reading it for what it is. I apologize. I did not catch that it started at uh, 8.30 tonight. Um, this Netflix deal, I know we saw this with NBC. They kind of did a little bit last year. I think it's a, another step in the direction as far as using a streaming platform. We've talked about that with races. I think this is kind of a feeling out for that. And I think it was based off the success we saw with, with last year with some of the coverage that NBC did um, with their documentary. So I think it's a win-win, uh, definitely going to be interesting. And I, I'm with Mike. Uh, it, it'll be interesting to see where they play it into um, the season going into next year. I think, like he said, of maybe using it as a hype to get ready for the season would be great. Whether or not that happens, I don't know. I don't know what their schedule is either. Okay. Um, the, just a point of clarification, filming has already begun as the drivers fight to secure their spot into the NASCAR playoffs, and the playoffs will begin September 3rd at Darlington Raceway. So they've already kind of started filming, uh, and it will include behind-the-scenes uh, footage as uh, these guys uh, fight for their spots. Um, and I'm, again, I'm, I'm just really looking forward to the five uh, episodes. Uh, each episode will be 45 minutes, and uh, just super excited that this is going to happen and that it will be on Netflix. I think it will bring uh, a new, new eyes to our sport and uh, the excitement of watching the playoffs as they unfold. Uh, so I'm excited about that. Andy? What's your follow-up? Yeah, I really, really don't have a lot to add to this, but I, I do think overall, it, I, I don't think it's going to be a bad thing. You know, I think that, um, you know, it, it's hopefully going to be good content for the fans, and hopefully it helps bring awareness to, to NASCAR. So ultimately, I think that, um, you know, having this come out is is a good thing. The more content, the better, and and ultimately, I I think that. Um, you know, it could be a good show. Okay, Jay, uh, did you have any follow-up that you wanted to say? Well, Andy's in on a key thing there. I think it does depend on the content. I'm not a big fan of the Reality Wives or other shows like that. Um, with what NASCAR has done, I think it's been done pretty well as far as it's not a drama or made for TV, or in this case, streaming uh, device um, platform. 
but it does show the real struggle. And even the ones that I wasn't, wouldn't have necessarily said were high on my list when they did uh, the family introspectives on a couple of the drivers and teams, I found it interesting, at least for a short segment. You, know, you mentioned it was 45 minutes long. Uh, I don't know about that, but at least that segment, because it does then help you relate to the drivers and see the side you don't see just of them on the racetrack but who they are behind the scenes. I know a lot of times we form opinions of who they are, what they do on the track to get to know them and understand them beyond that. So I think, I think that's a good thing. And you and Andy both there mentioned it of what it brings to a new platform, new eyes. That's good for the sport. And I like to see that, uh, you know, I've said it several times with several different things. It may not be something that interests me, but if it brings more fans and whatever to the sport, I'm all for it. Okay. Mike, we're going to move on to the next hot topic. What's it going to be? Well, since Jay's here now, I can go and roll this grenade under the door. We had a good spicy <laughs> discussion on this this morning, but Bob Pockers of Fox Sports, he released his opinion. This is all Bob's opinion now, but his opinion of the best prospects, the 30 best prospects currently coming up in the, uh, in the NASCAR feeder series. Now, he did have some criteria there. He's looking at drivers who are age 28 or younger uh, and don't have more than a handful of cup starts. So that does exclude John Hunter Nemechek, Josh Berry, Austin Hill, and Ty Majeski. So if you're wondering where they are on Bob's list, read up and – And that's where they are. But I'm not going to read the whole list, but just going through the top five there. Number one, he's got Zane Smith, then Corey Heim, Carson Hostovar, Chandler Smith, and Sammy Smith. So three out of the five, last name Smith, none of them related, and we'll take it from there. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Jay, what are your thoughts about that? Well, I'm glad Mike was very specific on a couple of things there as to which topic it was that we were getting spicy with each other when it came to, because um, I think there were several of them. But the the top five are ones that I think we all acknowledge as far as at least moving through the ranks. Um, we've seen the results of some of them, at least at the Xfinity level um, already. I know Zane's got a couple of cup starts. Maybe not the most stellar. I was actually a little more interested in some of the ones further down the line and some of the ones that I see that maybe weren't on the list. But it's, as, as he said, this was strictly Bob's opinion. Obviously, uh, I don't, if you're involved in the industry, you've got to respect Bob Pockers, his opinions, and you know, his position in the industry. doesn't mean I always necessarily agree with him. I might rank him a little bit differently as well. Right now, anyway, Carson Hosevar is the one that I'm really looking to keep an eye on. Um, as he moved into the Xfinity Series, we saw a couple of drivers that have done so and not succeeded even moving to the Xfinity, at least not quickly. Carson Hosevar has a couple of starts this year and run really well. Whether the finish is reflected or not yet, that's a different story. Again, the team he's with makes a difference there. But I think, for me, that's the highlight of the one to watch. I know... Sammy Smith and Chandler Smith already have won victory, but they also haven't shown the consistency, in my opinion anyway, to show uh, championship contention. Okay, Andy, your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think a couple key points there, you know, first and foremost would be that, you know, this is – this isn't a set-in-stone list. This is Bob's opinion on it. And I think that, 
you know, to Jay's point, Bob's pretty well respected in the industry. So, you know, I, I looked through this list and it's, it's pretty spot on for the most part. I mean, I don't, I think it's impossible for everybody to agree with it a hundred percent, but you know, he's entitled to his opinion. And I think that it's a pretty fair list um, with some drivers on there that, that do have the potential um, you know, to, to develop into a, having a successful cup career, maybe not right now, but maybe down the road. So um, I don't think it's bad at all. And, you know, I think that there's definitely some validity to, um, you know, certainly some of the names on the list. And, you know, there may be some others that, you know, aren't very high on the prospect list that could surprise us down the road. You never can tell. So, um yeah, we'll just have to wait and see, you know, what the results wind up being for some of these guys. But, I mean, it's – yeah, I mean, it's definitely um, a pretty reasonable list, and I, I don't really have anything bad to say about it. Yeah, I I agree with you. I think it is a reasonable list. It is Bob's opinion. Uh, we We can agree or disagree with it. But it's his opinion, and he's entitled to that. He's got some familiar names on this list uh, that we all recognize, like Zane Smith, Corey Heim, Carson Osvaldo, uh, Chandler, and Sammy Smith. But there's some other interesting names on here, too. Um, Sam Mayer's on the list, uh, Nick Sanchez. Uh, from the Xfinity Series, though, uh, Jesse Love, William Sawalich, uh, Brett Cruz, who just won at Illinois State Fairgrounds. Uh, he's on this list. He's only 15 years of age. Um, Taylor Gray, Carson Quapple, Christian Eckes. Uh, some women he has on this list. Katie Hedinger, uh, she is uh, the Cars Pro Late Model standings uh, and leads those standings. Uh, she's part of the Chevrolet program. Jade Evadesian. Uh, it's 16. She's the next sprint car driver that Toyota is going to try to mold into a stock car star. Uh, she has four wins as the points leader in the Extreme Outlaw Midget Series at the age of 16. So that's pretty cool. Uh, Luke Fenhouse and Raja Karuth are also on this list. Uh, Andres Perez de Lara, Connor Zilch, uh, Zilich, uh, he's a young driver that's been in um, – uh, made a name for himself in the Trans Am series this year. Uh, he's tied with Cruz in that series. Uh, Isabella Robusto, age 18, she's on this list. Uh, I like that there's females as well as males. There's youngsters, uh, those under 20 that are on this list, as well as uh, some of the up-and-coming drivers that we're all familiar with. So I think it's a pretty comprehensive list. Um, and uh, I like what I see here uh, as far as uh, the candidates that he focuses on. Uh, of course, uh, you already pointed out, Mike, that uh, drivers like John Hunter Nemechek, Josh Berry, Ty Austin Hill, and Majeski are all over uh, the 28 age limit that he put on there. Uh, but uh, they're certainly uh, worthy of being considered on this as well. But what are your thoughts, Mike? Well, I don't disagree with Bob on any of this. I think he's kind of spot on. Like you guys said, he, he pretty much nailed it. The thing that this list did for me more than anything else was highlight just how shallow the talent pool is 
overall in the, the NASCAR development pipeline. If you look at Bob's list, including the, the older drivers that he excluded, it's really hard to say that you expect any of them are ready to be in the Cup Series going into the 2024 season, or even with one or two more years of additional development. I'm not saying that none of those drivers will be in cup. They will most likely happen. However, I don't see any standouts like we've had in the Xfinity series and truck series in the past decade or so. You think back guys like uh, Eric Jones, Chase Briscoe, Cole Custer, Chase Elliott, Daniel Suarez, uh, and a whole bunch of others uh, William Byron's another one. They all just dominated the, the, the series, whether, whether it was the trucks or the Xfinity series. A lot of times it was both. Just absolutely dominated those series, and they had future cup champion written all over them. And we knew it from the day they started driving in whatever series it was, and now here they all are in the cup series. Some of them have it's panned out, and they've become very successful in the cup series. But even other guys that were very successful at the lower levels, Daniel Suarez, uh, Eric Jones, uh, and Cole Custer are three good examples where they kind of never got their feet under them. Daniel Suarez sort of is on his third life at Trackhouse and has done a little bit better there, but he still hasn't blossomed into the, the superstar at the Cup Series level. And I would say that, that all those guys were far more successful at the lower tier series than the current crop of drivers. You look at Bob's number one of Zane Smith, he has got to be the most hot and cold driver I have ever seen in any of the major three NASCAR series. When Zane Smith shows up to the racetrack, he looks like Superman. He looks unbeatable. But the, the other side of that coin is the polar opposite. Zane will go through long stretches, and basically this entire summer was one of them where he was just a non-factor, just does not show up. If you didn't see him on the entry list, you wouldn't know he was there. So that's what really concerns me about Zane Smith. And uh, further on down the list, every one of them is caveated with needs more development. I'm not saying that none of those guys can't develop into the cup potential, but I don't see anybody on that list right now that I would say, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fire my current cup series driver, whoever that may be, to make room for one of these guys. Not next year, probably not the year after that. So hopefully we see more development. We see, you know, the – the light bulb go off or the, the fire under the butt or whatever it takes to, to get somebody to reach a level where just where Ty Gibbs was last year in the Xfinity series, where he did dominate that series and was very successful in the one year that he was in the Xfinity series. And now he's having one of the best rookie seasons in the cup series in probably the past five years or more. Okay. Jay, your follow-up. Well, this is where, where it'll get a little spicy. Uh, as you said, um, with something, and I actually disagree with Dave Moody on this, when if somebody's looking at it, you, you can tell the talent, even if they may not be winning races, because that isn't necessarily always the, the key factor. And some of the drivers that, that Mike mentioned there were winning races at the, at the Xfinity lever, level, have moved the cup, had a couple of years. Um, some of them didn't get even that, but and just never really developed. Whereas you take a couple that maybe have, um, don't have the victories. And I went back, I went back to Jeff Gordon and Jimmy Johnson. When you're talking about the Xfinity series, they were not standout Xfinity stars. However, they were cup champions, multi-time cup champions. Now he says, you know, that's going too far back there. The, the cars were different, whatever. But it is still a factor of it seeing the talent in the driver, um, you know, and it takes time. And, and uh, the multitude of reasons we won't get into that of that they just don't even get the time to, to develop at the Cup Series anymore, in my opinion. 
um, is part of the problem. Dave Moody always says, you know, if you're not winning at the level you're at or in the series you're at, you shouldn't move up. And that's where, like I said, I even disagree with him. Because if that were the case, we wouldn't have seen Jimmy Johnson. We wouldn't have seen Jeff Gordon, uh, at least not when we did and what they, they accomplished. And it can be done. It may be far and few between. Uh, that's one of the things, though, that you don't know until you get them into the Cup Series, you, you know. Um, and I think um, right now I look at what Jesse loves, and she is uh, just under the, the five, the top five. What he's doing in the Arkham Menard Series is paralleling what Ty Gibbs did, has the chance to go back and break the record of Tim Steele, which set the record for wins in an Arkham Series in the modern era. But Tim Steele never made it to the Xfinity or Cup, at least not at the top level. The most dominant in the Arkham Menard series was Frank Kimmel. He was never a cup star. So you just never know. That's my point. Um, and there's so many out there. We talk about Benny Parsons finding Greg Biffle, who many would consider a great racer, one that could have had, had the opportunity to win championships at all three of NASCAR's top three levels. That wasn't that he didn't come through those series or, or whatever and win in big or many races like that. Parsons uh, saw the talent in him, and Roush took the chance and developed him. That's where, and I think, in, in my opinion, I know, Sharon, you got a different uh, topic up about a development program. I think that the teams need to find a way to be able to go back to, we used to see it, that the somebody they projected for the future would run seven to ten races. I know that number has changed the year prior to them going for their rookie year. Um, and I think you can do it more than one year as long as you don't go over that number. But even so, give them those cup starts um, prior to putting them in for the full season and then saying after one season, oh, you didn't, do it, you didn't perform, you got to go. But that's just my opinion. Andy, your follow-up? Yeah, I mean, those are all really good points, obviously, that Jay just brought up there. And, you know, I, I – you know, have to agree with him from the standpoint of you, you don't really necessarily know how somebody's going to perform until they get to the cup level. And, and also it depends on the situation that they can get into. You know, it has to be the right team with the right crew, the right communication, the right everything. And, and that can make or break someone's career. And I, I think that, you know, we're in an era where, you know, development time you know, isn't always given to everybody. Um, some drivers are allowed the time to develop. I, I look at William Byron as a recent example of somebody that really took about three to four years to get going. Look at look at what he's been able to do this year. He's having a, a breakout cup season. Um, Jimmy Johnson, like what's already been mentioned, one has one career Bush Series win prior to uh, joining the Cup Series and, you know, the rest is history, I guess. Those probably are outliers, you know, especially Johnson. Um, you know, I've typically, as a fan, been of the mindset that if you can't win Xfinity races and top equipment, then I question your ability to become a, a Cup champion. However, Jimmy Johnson, you know, has proved that it can be done. So it just depends on the person and the scenario that they they can get into as far as their their cup opportunity certainly for jimmy johnson he joined uh hendrick motorsports as a rookie and at the time there was no better organization to to join the cup series with so it's all relative and it all depends on the person i will say that looking at the list 
Um, some, I think, do have the potential. And, and to Mike's point, no, it may not necessarily be next year, but there's definitely several, you know, top talents, I think, on that list that, that will make it to the Cup Series and have decent careers. Are they all going to be Cup champions and win races? No, they're not. It's just reality. But, um, yeah, I mean, ultimately it boils down to a pretty solid list with the decent talent on there. And, and I, I do think that, you know, some of these guys are, are going to do pretty well down the road. Yeah, I would agree with everything that's been said here. Um, even Bob Pachris says this is all subjective and based on the age of the driver, talent, and results shown, and how quickly a driver is moving up into another series. Also considered here is the ability to land sponsorship is also considered uh, based on his research and some in- input from a few of the driver scouts. One thing that I noticed from the list is 14 of these 20 drivers are 20 or younger. Um, That means only six drivers are over the age of 20 that are on this list. We know that sometimes maturity is a big part of your uh, ability to uh, successfully transition from one series to another. So uh, that's something that I think uh, should be taken into consideration here as well. Um, The the other thing is that there's a different uh, attitude in racing these days, and I don't know if NASCAR, when they're going to address it, but I think at some point they do need to address it, and that is the way that people are winning races right now. Somehow it's become okay if you're on the last lap to knock your competitors out of the way in order to win races. It's never been my favorite way uh, to watch drivers win races. Uh, I'd rather see them use their talent to win those races, Uh, but somehow it's become kind of the standard for how we win races. Not every race. We've seen some good finishes and some good races this year. But a lot of drivers have that mentality, especially those drivers that are younger. And one of the drivers that's on this list is Sam Mayer. He's at that age of 20. Um, So I do think um, that's another thing that needs to be taken into consideration. I also thought it was interesting. He's got 25 others to watch that include Tony Bridinger, Sheldon Creed, uh, Haley Deegan, Jake Drew, Daniel Dye, Jake Finch, Jake Garcia, Kaz Grala, Tanner Gray, Riley Earps, Sean Hingarani, Caden Honeycutt, Brandon Jones, Connor Jones, Derek Krause, Caden Kerbapa, uh, Brendan Queen, Parker Retzlaff, Chase Purdy, Ben Rhodes, Lane Riggs, Gio Ruggiero, LeVar Scott, and Kyle Weatherman. A lot of those drivers are older uh, and maybe have a little bit more of the maturity uh, that I would be looking for in a driver moving up into that series. So uh, I know I'm the exception rather than the rule here, uh, but I, I do think maturity has a lot to do with your ability to move up within this series as well, as well, or at least it should have something to do with uh, moving up within the ranks of NASCAR. Mike, what are your thoughts? Kind of back on the, the discussion of the development pipeline, I've said, I've said it before, 
But the, the, the development pipeline in NASCAR, I think, is flawed, and it's more than just the knocking somebody out of the way to win a race mentality. Kind of from a big-picture standpoint, strength builds strength, weakness builds weakness. And I think generally, as motorsports popularity has declined in the country, I think the number of drivers who are getting into motorsports has also declined with it as well. And what that means is one out of every 1,000 race car drivers happens to be a NASCAR Cup Series level talent. When you have fewer drivers, you're, you're necessarily going to have fewer NASCAR Cup Series level talents. And then you start throwing in the issue of not only do you need to be talented, but nowadays you need to bring your own sponsorship because the team owners no longer provide a sponsored car for you. You need to bring your own sponsorship and your own ability to drive. What that's done is it's caused a severe concentration of talent only within the Cup Series because there's maybe only 30 actual Cup Series-level talented drivers in the entire country anymore, and they're on the Cup Series. And now drivers are not getting the experience of racing against guys who could just as easily be in the Cup Series if given the right opportunities that, you know, kind of, that kind of existed in the Bush Series and, you know, what is now the Xfinity Series, that second-tier series. That existed for years and years there. But as there have become fewer genuinely talented, skilled drivers available – They've all moved into the Cup Series, and I think that's led to some of the issues that we've seen with driver development where you'll have drivers be very successful in the lower-tier series and then get to the Cup Series and just struggle, for lack of a better word, struggle, because the learning curve of the Cup Series, it's not a curve anymore. It's a straight vertical wall, and we've seen almost every driver slam straight into that wall Maybe they, they, they have a momentary brief look of success, like Austin Cindric winning the Daytona 500. But even drivers who ended up being successful, like Chase Elliott, Kyle Larson, and now William Byron, they all struggled significantly for the first few years in the Cup Series. And I think some of that does have to do with the concentration of talent and the Cup level. Hopefully we can see some more, well, in general, more people get into racing, and therefore that 1 in 1,000 Cup Series talent, we get more of those 1 in 1,000 people, and I am just making that number up, but just for the sake of, uh, for sake of argument, the more, uh, the more drivers we get into racing at every level, hopefully we find more of those talented drivers, and they can help flesh out the development pipeline, and we can get that strength back in there to build strong drivers who are genuinely successful in the Cup level at their earliest opportunity, instead of just eh, let's throw him in a car. Maybe we've got the next Jimmy Johnson because he was a one-in-a-million opportunity right there. I don't expect to see another one of those. Okay. It's time to move on to our next hot topic. So, Jay, what are you uh, looking at? Well, I heard this one the other side. I don't remember if I heard it on the radio or saw it on Twitter, but the possibility of Denny Hamlin going to Ford, and I just I didn't even – let it cross my mind a second time because it was so ridiculous. But there is more and more coming out about this to include. I put up something from Denny Hamlin's uh, podcast uh, this week um, that it's he hasn't signed his contract extension as a driver for Joe Gibbs Racing yet, and that's because he's waiting for a deal with the manufacturer of Toyota for his 2311 racing team as well as the partnership with Joe Gibbs. And it might be that if he doesn't get those, he'll take them somewhere else. Okay, Andy, your thoughts about uh, Denny Hamlin and the possibility of not extending with JGR or possibly moving 2311 into the Ford camp? 
I would be surprised if a manufacturer change happened, and I would also be surprised if Hamlin didn't drive the 11 car next year. I feel like I think it's it's really just a matter of it's not as easy to get his driver contract done because he has to get the deal done with his own race team. And I think that there's more moving parts than, than there normally would be for the average driver. So um, I think for a driver, you know, that's, you know, as big time as Denny Hamlin is, it is odd that he doesn't have his deal done for next year. It is getting to be that point in the season where this, probably needs to get taken care of. But at the same time, um, you know, I think there's just a lot more to it than, than what it normally would be. So, um, but I, I don't really, I don't see Toyota, you know, allowing 2311 to get away from them. And I also conversely don't see Denny getting away from Joe Gibbs racing. I think it's probably just a matter of logistics and trying to iron everything out, but ultimately, Excuse me. Ultimately, I I would be very surprised to see something change here. We've seen crazy stuff happen in the past. Um, you know, when Stuart Haas came out of left field and changed from Chevrolet to, to Ford. But I don't know. I don't I don't see that happening in this case. I I really think that it's just a matter of them getting things taken care of. But I I don't see anything changing at this point. Okay, Mike, your thoughts. There's no way Toyota would absolutely blow it two years in a row, right? That can't happen. We, we had the same discussion last year regarding Kyle Busch. We were saying the exact same thing. There's no way Kyle Busch would lead Joe Gibbs Racing. There's no way Kyle Busch won't drive the 18 car next year. And the big one is there's no way that Kyle Busch Motorsports would drive anything other than Toyota's. Well, here we are this year. Kyle Busch is not only driving for Richard Childress, he's winning for Richard Childress, not in the 18 car, but in the number eight. And Kyle Busch Motorsports is now a Chevrolet truck series team. The consensus last year was that Toyota blew it, and they let Kyle Busch and, more importantly, KBM get away from them, and it has cost them dearly ever since. Ty Gibbs is having a decent rookie season in the 54, like I said on the previous segment, probably one of the better rookie seasons that we've seen in quite a few years. However, He's still not at the level that Kyle Busch was and certainly not having the same season this year as Kyle Busch is. And, oh, by the way, you look at the truck series level, this is where Toyota really got hurt. They lost Kyle Busch Motorsports, was a perennial championship contending Toyota truck series team, and they they ended up switching Tricon Garage over to – Toyota, and that has been a shadow of what KBM is. They are nowhere near the competitive level that KBM was bringing to the table. So would Toyota really blow it again and allow themselves to lose 2311 racing over haggling with a contract with Denny Hamlin, a 42-year-old, decent, probably Hall of Fame level, but not superstar driver with some personality and behavior issues and a bad attitude but he also happens to own one of Toyota's three major teams. So would Toyota really allow 2311 Racing to get away? They just picked up Legacy Motor Club as a a third Toyota team with the stated intention of increasing their car count to be more competitive with Chevrolet and Ford. So would they really go back to a net no, no gain if they lose 2311 Racing? 
They would gain the two LMC cars, but they would lose the two 2311 cars. And, oh, by the way, don't forget that number 67 that 2311 brings along with them. Toyota has to have seen the success that Justin Marks has had with the 91 car, and they know that the potential to have that same level of success is there with the 67. We saw Kiyomi Kobayashi in that car at the Indianapolis road course, and I think that Toyota would love to be able to bring some of their Gazoo Racing team into the NASCAR Cup Series using that 67 car. They would lose all of that if they can't get this deal done with Denny Hamlin. I'm, I can't say never because they, they did so poorly last year and they lost so much last year. I can't say never, but it would blow my mind if they did it two years in a row, made such colossal blunders to allow their entire NASCAR organization to fall apart two years in a row like that. Well, it is going to be interesting to see what actually happens here. I think you guys all bring up some great points, but I'll just point out a couple of other things here. Denny Hamlin is a media hound. He likes to call attention to himself. He's also in the middle of of negotiating with uh, Toyota, uh, which, by the way, David Wilson from TRD uh, and JGR both say that they they feel like Hamlin's going to be back with them next year. Um, this could be a ploy just to, um, for negotiation purposes with Toyota. Who knows? Um, but it does make sense to me that um, he would have to work it out with 2311 before he signs a contract with JGR. Uh, so... Yeah, it would be a blunder, I think, if Toyota allowed this to happen. Uh, I would like to think that they wouldn't allow that to happen, but I don't have any inside information to know perhaps, and this is a big perhaps, perhaps, um, you know, they decided that they didn't want to move forward with Kyle Busch last year uh, because of some of the past things that have happened with him. Uh, behavior-wise. Same thing could be true with um, uh, Denny Hamlin. And I'm talking about Toyota, not necessarily JGR. Um, Toyota seems to be moving in a different direction. So they may be looking to uh, kind of drop those people that are uh, behavioral problems. Uh, and I would put Denny Hamlin in that category uh, because he is such a uh, media hound. Now, I know a lot of people in the media are trying to reverse that stigma that he has, but for me, it's still there. Uh, I think Denny Hamlin does not have the emotional maturity to handle some of these situations uh, as well as he could. Has he had some situations where he's shown improvement? Yes, it's like he takes two steps forward and another step back. Um, So we'll see how it plays out. I do think uh, there's a lot more to this than what meets the eye. I do get the feeling that a lot of it is, is just, you know, getting Denny Hamlin's name back out there and that we're all talking about him. He loves to have us all talking about him, and that's what I think a lot of this is about. Um, But uh, a lot of it has to do with negotiations with Toyota and him trying to get everything he can get through those negotiations as well. Um, I don't know how it's going to end up. 
but it is going to be interesting to see how it plays out for the reason that Mike brought up. A lot of us didn't think uh, Kyle Busch would ever leave Joe Gibbs racing last year, and yet it happened. Jay, what are your thoughts? Yeah, it's going to be kind of a repeat here, but are we talking 2022 or 2023 uh, when it when it comes to Kyle Busch? But I go back to statements that have been said, uh, at least by me or thoughts uh, that I've had. Tony Stewart will never go to Ford. Uh, that happened. Brad Keselowski leaving Penske because he couldn't get ownership. It happened. He went to Roush Fenway. Uh, Kyle Busch being the most comparative as a driver with another team that he's protecting. And there's a couple parts here I want to hit on. I think this one's a little bit different and to me would be an even bigger mistake by Toyota because it's a cup-level team, not the truck series. Now, the truck series is important when it comes to their developmental, as we've seen coming through the ranks. But we're talking about a cup-level team, and Toyota's already short on cars when it comes to numbers against Ford and Chevrolet. So I think it would be an even uh, bigger mistake by them to let this happen. But I was one of those that really never had a doubt last year that Kyle Busch was going to be back in that 18 with Joe Gibbs Racing. I just didn't see him leaving. That somehow or another, sponsorship wouldn't come together. But it's all those other pieces that weren't fitting with what Kyle wanted, and he got what he wanted and is being successful with your children's racing. So we know it can happen uh, two years in a row, as Mike said. Uh, that'd be a huge hit to me for, for Toyota, especially with their replacement coming of Legacy Motor Club because of the position they're in. We saw Furniture Row be a partner to Joe Gibbs Racing and work well off of it to, to ha- expect that level of success again with Legacy as they're building. I, I don't know. Um, plus, I mean, they're kind of shaky on their driver lineup. We're talking that Martin Truex is coming back for one year. We know that. Denny Hamlet hasn't signed. Oh, Joe, Joe Gibbs has John Hunter Nemechek they can put there. Well, that's who they're putting in legacy. John Hunter's been linked to about four seats, <laughs> and he hasn't been given any of them yet. Um, so that'll be kind of interesting to, how that comes into play because last year that was what they went with was Ty Gibbs and replace a Kyle Busch. Did it get the same success? No. Gibbs has done very solid. Got to give him that, as Mike mentioned. Probably the best rookie season since uh, Chase Elliott um, that we've seen as far as consistency. Not necessarily winning a race or multiple races, but consistency. And he really has showed that. I think has shown some growth and maturity on several levels, as Sharon talked about with some drivers. So, um, But there's another aspect, and I'll hit that on the second time round. Okay, Andy, your follow-up? Another, I think, big factor in this is, is sponsorship. And there has been speculation that FedEx may or may not return next year. And I think that has to play a big role into it. Um, you know, and we saw the same thing happen with Kyle Busch last year where the team claimed they couldn't get sponsorship for him. And that was the main reason why he had to leave. Could see something similar happen with Denny Hamlin, you know, again, I don't, I don't think that's going to happen. I, I would have to guess that he'll return. That's my gut anyway, but you know, you never know. I mean, if FedEx doesn't come back and they don't find funding and somebody else can bring funding to the the table, then, you know, maybe Gibbs is forced into moving in a different direction. It'll be interesting to see. Um, 
But, you know, I would be thoroughly surprised if something else, you know, comes to fruition other than his current situation, which I think he'll stay in. But, you know, crazier things have happened. You never know. So uh, I guess we'll just have to kind of wait and see, uh, you know, how things pan out. And it could be, too, that, you know, once the regular season ends this weekend, with that being the focus, you know, maybe some stuff will come out in the next couple, three weeks. Mike, your follow-up? Jay kind of hinted at it, but I'm going to bring it up a little bit more directly. 2311 is a Cup Series team, like uh, Jay said. And what does that mean? 2311 holds two NASCAR Cup Series charters. That is huge. Uh, we saw Justin Marks have to buy out Chip Ganassi Racing just to get a hold of the charters that he needs. The, the latest estimated price that I've heard is somewhere between 20 and $30 million per charter for a NASCAR Cup Series team. So if you want to do the math on that at the low end, two 2311 charters are worth approximately $40 million or more just as part of that deal. So if Toyota allows that to get away to Ford, that's a huge loss for Toyota right there financially. So that's got to be another thing that's, that's in their consideration is the inherent value of those NASCAR Cup Series charters. Um, if Denny Hamlin decides he doesn't want to, to be a team owner anymore, he's got those in his back pocket. Obviously, he'd, he'd have to split it with Michael Jordan and whatever other investors they may have with that team, but there's a whole lot of value there to be had there as well. And that's got to be factoring into this negotiation just as much as everything else. Now, Andy also brings up the big point of sponsorship. We've seen FedEx pull back a lot this year uh, on the 11 car, and FedEx Corporation has made no secret of their desire to cut a substantial amount of expenses over the next few years, not just in NASCAR, but just overall in the business as a whole. And I think the, the reduction in sponsorship for the 11 car that we've seen this year is part of that. And that may continue next year. So it may end up being a sponsorship issue. I know Denny has had a couple other sponsors come on board, and that 11 car has been sponsored every weekend, if not by FedEx, by other, other partners. But I don't know how much of a patchwork of sponsors they can put together, especially for a driver that doesn't potentially offer a long-term solution there. They won't be the face of that brand for the next – how many years does Denny Hamlin have left if he signs back on? Two? three, something like that. So if a sponsor is looking for a long-term partnership like Denny has had with FedEx over the past 15 years, they're really not going to have that with him. So it's a big, big picture with a lot of moving pieces involved there. I don't know how this is going to shake out, but like I said in my first reply, I would be shocked if Toyota let Denny Hamlin, not so much Denny Hamlin, but let 2311 get away from them. Yeah, you guys are all bringing up uh, excellent points, and uh, I'll I'll just wait and see what happens. And, Jay, I'll let you have the last word here. Well, my other point, Sharon, actually, you've kind of brought it back a little bit. Initially, when I I read this, I I thought it was a stand-up. I know we, we tend to bag on Denny Hamlin a little bit. But I was like, that's standing up for your team and what isn't just best for you as a driver and your individual but for the team, and we saw that with Kyle Busch. However, some things you said, Sharon, you know, kind of make me wonder. When Kyle Busch went through it, when he was interviewed about his contract, he said, it, you know, it's in the process, it's on Joe Gibbs and Toyota now. Uh, you know, he had made his statement of what he wanted and left it at that. Uh, he didn't use it as a ploy, oh, I'll take my team elsewhere or whatever. So it may be that in this case, Denny Hamlin is using it as, as leverage to get his way or whatever, um, or as you said, media attention, 
whereas Kyle Busch just said, you know, go talk to Joe Gibbs uh, or, or Toyota. So there is a little bit of a difference, I think. But I think you guys have all mentioned FedEx and the sponsorship. We have seen multiple uh, new sponsorships on that number 11 team. Um, and when you talk about it, FedEx was the lone remaining year-long sponsor um, since Lowe's left with, uh, with Jimmy Johnson. And also one driver, one team. Uh, you know, Jimmy Johnson, I know he's driven part-time now with his, with his legacy motor club. Um, but Jeff Gordon was, was the last one to do that. Denny Hamlin has been with Joe Gibbs since the beginning. He was part-time in that ride with, uh, I believe it was J.J. Ailey when they first started that 11 team. Um, and once he took over and FedEx came on board, full on board with Denny Hamlin, that's been his team. So, you know, that's why we kind of have a tough time imagining going to somewhere else. But now I'm kind of more in the middle. But I just I thought it was at least stand up, you know, initial perspective that he was looking out for more than himself. But maybe in the long run, he's not. I don't know. Hard, hard to say. Okay, Andy, we've got some time here. You want to pick up our next hot topic? Well, uh, this one, of course, I think Michael liked to talk about, but um, Chase Elliott's fuel blunder on Sunday that took him from possibly winning a race, and his fans apparently aren't happy with the crew chief. Okay, Mike, your thoughts about uh, fans calling for Alan Gustafson uh, to be fired? I don't – I have not taken the pitchforks and torches out of the shed yet. I'll put it that way. I don't think that they necessarily need to fire Alan Gustafson, at least not for for this specific incident. Um, The big question would be who would you replace him with? They have a championship together. They've done well together. Then again, they did replace Chad Knauss with Jimmy Johnson towards the end of Jimmy Johnson's career, so I wouldn't take anything off the table there. With that said, it's really hard to objectively say one way or the other whether Gustafson has been a net gain or a net loss for Elliott. Obviously, it was a huge blunder yesterday, probably one of the one of two of the worst possible times that they could have had a, a blunder like that. And I would say probably the worst because Watkins Glen represented the very best opportunity that 19 had to win a race, to be in control of their opportunity to win a race. Uh, Daytona is always looked at as a wild card, a bingo machine, a, a roll of the dice. However, whatever gambling analogy you want to make, that's kind of what Daytona has looked at. So Watkins Glen was definitely – the uh, the opportunity that the nine team had to con- take control of their destiny from there. And it wasn't just the crew chief, but the driver blew it as well. You got to remember the driver qualified 15th in what should have been an extremely fast car. So because of the poor qualifying effort from the driver, the crew chief had to get very aggressive with the strategy in what turned out to be a very track position intensive race. And unfortunately, that aggression with the strategy didn't pan out. So I wouldn't put that whole failure on Alan Gustafson's shoulders. As far as everyone else calling for him to to be canned, I'm not with him on this one. I mean, I'm a Chase Elliott fan. I'd like to see him win. But at the same time, just lopping off heads for the sake of lopping off heads, I think it would be a net loss for that team. I don't know. Jay, what are your thoughts? Well, let's move to a different team first off. Daniel Suarez's team. Did anybody ask for a crew member to be fired or Daniel Suarez when he ran over the hose or the hose got under the tire last week at Indianapolis and he could have won that race? No. 
pick any driver or any team member. Mistakes are made. I just this blows my mind and the fact that it's all about Chase Elliott. And I'll use him specifically. Did we're talking about not making the playoffs because of a mistake. Had he finished and I'm trying to think what race it was, I don't remember the exact race, but he was running decently in a race, took out Denny Hamlin, didn't finish that race, was suspended the next race. That's two races. Right now I think he's eighty points out. Forty points per race is doable when you talk about a Hendrick Motorsports car. Did anybody ask for Chase Elliott to be fired? No. Why are you putting this? Was this mistake made? And I don't even know that it was Alan Gustafson. He said bad information. I think he was not selling out whoever didn't get the fuel in the car like they were supposed to and was protecting them. But nobody asked for anybody else to get fired. Why is it when it comes to Chase Elliott, it's got to be championship perfect at all times, whatever. I just The sport's going to survive without him making the playoffs. They survived without Jimmy Johnson making the playoffs. They survived without Martin Truex making the playoffs. They will survive without Chase Elliott making the playoffs. And provided he doesn't win at uh, Daytona. Anyway, um, Alan Gustafson is a human being, and like most human beings, he may, he may have made a mistake. But I'm with you, Jay. I'm not even sure it was Alan Gustafson's mistake. He said it was based off of bad information, meaning somebody gave him bad information. Now, here's the other thing that um, I've heard brought up on several of the radio shows I've listened to today, and that is, where was Chase Elliott? Chase Elliott could have very well said, are you sure that's what you want me to do? Because it doesn't seem to to work out here. Um, His car chief could have said something. Anybody else, Jeff Gordon, could have said something to Alan Gustafson when he made that call. So many different people could have said something to Alan Gustafson at that point to cause him to take a second look at that and maybe catch the mistake before it happened. And nobody, nobody within that organization said not word one. So I think it's an organizational issue. Alan Gustafson said that he doesn't want to uh, put a highlight on an organizational problem. Maybe there's uh, something more to this that needs to even be brought to our attention, um, and they're looking to handle it internally. Uh, but I think it's unfair to place all of this on Alan Gustafson. There have been... 25 races that Chase Elliott, I know he wasn't in, uh, he wasn't driving for all 25 of those races, but there were several chances for him to win a race this season, and he hasn't been able to get that done. Um, Chase Elliott, somebody brought up that he qualified 15th for this race. Uh, There's plenty of blame to go around here. It doesn't fall only on Chase on uh, Alan Gustafson, uh, so I think it's unfair for fans to be calling for him to be fired. I think that they need to know more about what's going on behind the scenes. Not that they really need to know. I, I trust that that organization uh, will look into what exactly happened and that they will handle it and take care of it. 
Um, and again, I'm not even sure it's Alan Gustafson that made the mistake. But I think that he could have taken a second look at that or caught that um, mistake and maybe could have done something about it before it happened. But um, I don't think it, it all lands on him. I think there's plenty of blame to go around. Andy, what are your Oh, before I, yeah. I leave, we are at that yeah, yeah. time of the show where I need to make an announcement. We are doing a live broadcast tonight, and we may have some new listeners tuning in. We just need to let you know that we are going to go off the air at exactly 10.30 p.m. Eastern time here tonight. But we are going to continue recording the rest of our conversation, and that part of the conversation will be available on our podcast. I will go out on Twitter and Facebook to let you know that podcast is available, and at that point, you can go to our player at BamforRacing.com or any of the other uh, venues that we are available, and fast forward to the two-hour mark in order to hear the rest of our conversation. Again, didn't want anybody to be caught by surprise, and that's why we make this announcement at this time of the night. Andy, your thoughts? Yeah, I think you bring up, you know, some good points about the situation as far as, you know, yesterday when really what it came down to was um, yeah, when when the car's tank gets low, you can flip a fuel switch and it should last for, you know, on an oval track, it'll probably last two or three laps. Well, the mistake yesterday was that they thought they could go three laps on the fuel switch, but at a road course, that's just way too long. So it probably was more like, a lap and they misinterpreted that information and thought they could go longer than what they actually could. And that's why they ran out of fuel. So it was a, it was a mistake. That's probably more of a car chief engineering type mistake, honestly. Um, you know, and it just got overlooked, you know, but stuff happens. The point is that, you know, these are humans, these aren't robots, you know, and I think that, you know, Elliot fans are frustrated because he's not having the kind of year that that they're used to him having, um, where he's winning races and contending, you know, in the playoffs. And um, he's having an off year, let's face it. It's, it's an off year for that team. Um, it's not even an organizational problem because Byron's won five races this year. Larson's won races, you know, but it, it's okay. I mean, every driver and team – goes through off spells occasionally. It's just the way it is. And this year is just not his year, you know, but I think that, you know, a lot of people just aren't used to that. So there's a lot of frustration and, but, but, you know, does a mistake yesterday warrant a crew chief losing his job? No, it doesn't. You know, I think that, you know, if they don't make the playoffs, you know, they'll, they'll have the whole playoffs to, to try to get as many points as possible and to try to build and work towards next year. So um, Sharon brings up a really good point. You know, they've had, despite the races that he did miss this spring, they've had all year to try to win a race and it just hasn't come to fruition. So, you know, it's, it's impossible for, you know, it's impossible for these teams to have good years year after year after year. Every now and then you're just going to have a year that, doesn't go your way. Um, but I think that Alan and Chase have had pretty good success together. Um, I've even, I think I've even made comments, you know, in the past about, you know, some of the struggles that they've had, but I mean, I just think that 
you know, this is a, a season that they will be able to work through and get past, and, and they might come back next year and win eight races and make the final four for the championship. You just never know. So um, I can understand the frustration. If anybody knows about miserable seasons this year, it's me. <laughs> so I totally get it. But I think that, um, you know, one bad race or one off season doesn't always necessitate a change. I think that, you know, I think that sometimes you just have to regroup and, and, and try to find your way back to having that level of success that, you know, they're used to. And that's the thing too, like with Elliot, you know, there's a lot of pressure on him and there's a lot of eyes on him because he is the most popular driver, but um, that's a team that won't stay down for long. They'll be back. They'll be back to winning races sooner than later. And, and I do think they'll work through it and, and everything will be fine. Um, and let me just, before we go to Mike, I want to just clarify when I talk organizational issue, I'm talking about team organization, not motorsports organization. Um, but, Mike, what's your follow-up? Let's take a step back and look at this in context here. Andy's talking about the nine team it has, is having a down year because they're likely to miss the playoffs. That's absolutely true. They haven't won a race. They're most likely not going to make the playoffs on points. In fact, I think they mathematically can't at this point. They must win at Daytona if they want to make the playoffs. And without that win, they will not make the playoffs under any mathematical circumstance. So is it a down year? Well, sort of. But then you look at it from the other side of the equation. Chase Elliott and the 19, they're sitting 21st in points right now. They have no wins, but they are ahead of 11 different drivers who have ran every single race this season and comfortably ahead of them. And we're talking about drivers who have won races at the NASCAR Cup Series level before. We're talking about drivers that drive for organizations that have won championships at the NASCAR Cup Series level before. And the 19 is still ahead of them. So a down year for the 19 is still not that terrible. There's not a whole lot that they're off the pace on. It's just you know, you miss seven races, you're going to be climbing out of a hole, and we all knew that it was coming, and they just haven't really aggressively climbed out of that hole enough. If they had those seven races back at the level that they are racing at right now and have raced since Elliott has come back, the suspension notwithstanding, they likely would be comfortably in on points just based on the average finish that that nine team has been able to accomplish throughout the season. Even if they didn't get a win, they would most likely be up there with Brad Keselowski and Kevin Harvick, who are locked in to the championship or to the uh, to the playoffs based on points, just because of their level of performance throughout the year. So to say that this is a down season and somebody needs to get fired for it, Island Gustafson or otherwise. Take a a look at the results and put it in context of what they've actually accomplished versus what they've had to overcome. And it's really hard to say that the nine team is that far off this year. They're just in circumstances that I would say were somewhat beyond their control. Yeah, Chase Elliott breaking his leg snowboarding. You can kind of say that was his fault because he decided to go out there, but he didn't go out there deciding he was going to break his leg. That wasn't the original plan. So to, to say that, Somebody, anybody, the driver, the crew chief, anybody on the crew needs to be fired just based on on the performance this year, I think is is probably premature at best and a gross overreaction at worst. Jay? Whoops. uh, That pretty much said it right there, a gross uh, overreaction, knee-jerk reaction. Uh, That would just, to me, would be a huge mistake with what they've done. Again, there may even be one or more other races where there was a call Alan Gustafson made that wasn't the right call. 
it happens uh, right now. Don't don't let a bad situation get even worse by overreacting. And Sharon, I think you mentioned it when it came to qualifying. Chase Elliott admitted he made a mistake if you watched his qualifying lap where he bounced through the S's and lost lost grip and time. He said he did that himself. Nobody screamed for him to get fired. I just this one really frustrates me because it's to for Chase Elliott as the muscular driver. It's like people lose focus on what really happened. Yes, a mistake was made, whoever it was by. But that is not the one and only mistake that cost them a chance at the playoffs. Yeah, let's face it. Mike brings up a good point, too, that they started kind of in a hole once uh, Chase missed those seven races. uh, And they knew it was going to be an uphill battle. And they fought that uphill battle and have done a good job of doing that. So you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Um, I think that uh, it, I think that uh, uh, it's a mistake that's been made. Like Andy said, they're not robots; they're human beings. Mistakes are going to happen, uh, and you can't fire somebody for making. Well, you can, but in this case, I think it would be a gross mistake uh, to fire uh, Alan Gustafson in particular for the mistake that was made here because we don't even know if he's the one who made the mistake. He maybe didn't catch it, uh, but so did a lot of other people not catch it uh, so that it could be corrected within time. And that includes the team owner. Jeff Gordon could have said something. Um, so I, I think I think we need to kind of relax a little bit here as far as firing Alan Gustafson and uh, just give them kudos for what they have accomplished in the uphill battle that they've had all season long. Andy. I, uh, I don't really have any follow-up to this one. Um, you know, I, I, I think that the, the points have been made. Um, and it, it, he still has a chance to win a race this weekend, so it may not be totally done yet. Um, and, and maybe they'll – They'll have a chance to to keep going, you know, with their season into the playoffs. But um, yeah, I, I don't know. I think that I think that it's just one bad race, and I think that if they weren't under such immense pressure to try to win, you know, a race to get into the playoffs, that this probably would have been overlooked. I just think that a lot of people probably looked at, at the Glen as that that last ditch effort to to be able to win, you know, and, and Chase has had such a high level of success at road courses up until really this year, last year, um, and he's still been good. But, I mean, there was a time when, you know, especially with the previous car, when you showed up to a road course, you were probably racing for second, you know, because of how good the nine team was. They've lost their edge a little bit as far as always being the dominant car on the road courses, but they still always – have that opportunity to win, you know, when they do come to a road course. So I think, I think a lot of the frustration probably just stems from the fact that people had this race circled as a place where he could win and and that opportunity got derailed a bit. So I I do think that, you know, this will blow over and they'll recover from this. And even if they don't make the playoffs, then, you know, maybe they can finish the season on a high note by winning some races and, and by doing so that, you know, set you up with some pretty good momentum to go into the off season. So 
you know, I I think everything's going to be okay, ultimately. Okay. Well, let that be the last word. And, Mike, what do you have for our next hot topic? Well, this will be another spicy one here, but uh, do did Watkins Glen and Indianapolis expose kind of the darkest side of the parody that the Gen 7 car has brought? Uh, Indianapolis and Watkins Glen both Romans exclusively green flag run races. Uh, the only caution at Watkins Glen through the entire race, I believe, was one Elliot ran out of fuel, and there was only one caution early at the beginning of the Indianapolis road course race as well, which resulted in a green flag run for almost the entire duration of the race. Fans have talked about, well, we want to get rid of the stage cautions on this, so obviously NASCAR gave them what they were asking for. But this has led to two back-to-back road course races that were very difficult to pass. They were very much track position races, and really the only way that drivers were able to advance their position was to capitalize on the mistakes of others. And when you're talking about a series that's populated by the very best stock car drivers in the world – Those mistakes are few and far between. We saw, I don't think, no passes within the top 10 for the last 10 laps at yesterday's race at Watkins Glen. So is there something that should be done to open up the bag of tricks that the crews and teams have to build the cars as well as to adjust the cars at the racetrack in order to give themselves a competitive advantage within the rule book? Jay, your thoughts? Yeah, this is one where I'm going to partially agree and partially disagree, as I did throughout the day, I think, uh, the entire day here with Mike. Um, The the stage breaks. Start there. Uh, The fact that there were no cautions. It happens. I mean, you're not going to get a – you know, fans say they don't want to see wrecks, but then when they don't get the cautions or wrecks, they don't like the race because – excuse me a minute – they they don't get what they want. They saw one car dominate a race. It happens. You know, will and I think other drivers, I know Mike and I disagree with this. I, there were was passing throughout the field. It just wasn't up front. Uh, the statistics, and I don't remember who I pulled it off of Twitter from, um, lead changes or changes, changes of any position within the, the top positions there in the final laps. I wouldn't argue with that. I, there wasn't as far as it came to that. Yes, some of it is equal cars, but that's what they supposedly wanted. Now, I do believe that the teams ought to be, and I said this right away from the beginning when they were moving towards this next-gen car. IROC series went away for a reason. Everybody had an identically prepared car. You couldn't touch it, couldn't work on it. You just had to race it as it was. That went away for a reason. I like the teams, crew chiefs, engineers having the ability to work with the cars at least a little bit. Understand the cost, uh, direction of cost, then teams are out spending each other on wind tunnel, engineering, all this. But you've got to give them something to work with or you're just issuing them the car and saying you got to drive it as it is. And I don't like that. Now, with that of you give them the box, whatever size it be, I think it could be a little bigger, if they're outside the rules, by all means, penalize them. I'm okay with the, you know, taking a race away, taking the win away, whatever it be. But give them a little bit of playroom so that they can't. Um, and I know the topic of stage breaks came back up. I think it was Larry McReynolds that even talked about it. Maybe they do need to go back to that as this doesn't work out. But we've seen it on other road courses where it has. And I think you've got to look at 
the analytics of passes throughout the field, uh, just because it didn't happen up front. Again, the top guys were at the front. They were up there for a reason. Michael McDowell, before his engine blew, he had a mistake on pit road, was working his way back up through the field. Kyle Larson worked his way up through the field. So it can be done. Certain drivers and teams are making it happen. That's, that's part of it. Andy, your thoughts? Andy, are you still here? Uh, I'm, I'm, what was the topic again? I'm sorry. I zoned out there for a second. <laughs> My mistake. Oh, we're talking about um, uh, the parity within NASCAR, the road courses uh, indicating oh, right. legal room. I'm sorry. Yeah, sorry about that. I was in my own world, I guess, for a couple minutes there. But, um, yeah, so my my opinion is going to be probably unpopular, but I didn't see a problem with either race, whether it be Indianapolis or Watkins Glen, um, because I, I have enjoyed the fact this year that they removed the stage breaks at the road courses because it puts the, the – the race more in the hands of, of the team strategy and that element was present in both races. So I found that part to be interesting. Now, of course we didn't, you know, it, it, the one thing about NASCAR fans is they're never happy, right? Because, you know, these road courses, you know, have come to be known, you know, with all their, their massive wrecks and, and the restarts being crazy and whatnot. So NASCAR tried to curtail that by taking the stage breaks out and, you know, now we've had some, you know, races with primarily green flag runs and, and now people don't like that. So I don't know what fans want, but I, I really quite honestly enjoyed this strategic part of, you know, the crew chiefs being able to, to call the races, you know, how they wanted to, you know, by not knowing when the cautions were going to fall, you know, that kind of put it more in the, in the team's hands and stuff. So I, I didn't really see an issue with it. There, there was passing and racing throughout the field. You know, it was a very uneventful race, no doubt about it. But, you know, every not every single race has to be a complete dumpster fire wreck fest, you know. And, and that's what a lot of these road courses, you know, have come to be in the last couple, three years. And so it's been refreshing, really to have some normalcy, you know, but whether it be Indianapolis or Watkins Glen. So I don't know. I didn't see an issue with it. I, I do think that there, you know, there could be some work done to improve the short track and road course package for the next gen car that I will agree with that we're not quite where we need to be as far as producing exciting racing. I think that there's work to be done yet which they are working on. Um, but as far as the way the race has played out, I've got no problem with them. I thought they were fine. Yeah, I have to agree with Andy on this one. I think that the racing was fine at both Watkins Glen and Indianapolis. Uh, there was passing. Uh, it might not have been your driver that was doing the passing. I don't know. But um I think that as, as far as the question about should NASCAR be allowing more wiggle room for these drivers, my answer is absolutely not, uh, and teams, absolutely not. They went to this for a specific reason, and they need to stick to their guns on this. Um, 
that if you give an inch, they're going to take a mile. I trust me on it. Uh, I think that there are other things that NASCAR can look at. Uh, fans said that they didn't want the stage breaks, but the stage breaks is what broke up the momentum and made it a little more exciting on the restarts. I understand you didn't like that there were so many laps. Look at how they can minimize the number of laps uh, during some of these cautions uh, that are happening on road courses. I, I, I think that there can be something done differently there. Um, I think that they can look at the tires. Maybe there needs to be more fall off on the tires. Uh, one of the things that uh, didn't happen in both of those races is that there wasn't a lot of tire fall off. I'm not talking about every 10 laps tire fall off like we had in the debacle of, at, at Indianapolis a few years ago, but maybe a little more fall off on the tires could make it more interesting. Um, maybe going back to the stage breaks uh, is what we need to do. Uh, I don't think we need to have the knee-jerk reaction that the cars are so close together. Um, and, and keep in mind, these are the drivers that are saying this. Instead of looking for um, that they want to blame the car instead of looking at what they need to be doing differently. There are drivers that were driving up through that field. Why were they not able to drive up through that field? I, I really have to question uh, the idea of changing the parity of the cars and making it easier for the drivers to cheat and the teams to cheat. I, I just am not in favor of that whatsoever. I think that there are other things that NASCAR can do to make it more interesting on the road courses and the short tracks, and I know that NASCAR is looking at that. So let's let them do their due diligence and see if there isn't something more that they can do uh, to keep the parity uh, so that we can see drivers like, like Michael McDowell win and get into the playoffs um, and, and maybe even other teams. Uh, who can win and get into the playoffs. Uh, I, I just don't think parity is the problem. I think that there are other things that NASCAR can do. Mike? Well, I'll point out another thing that you've highlighted that you really don't like, and that is one driver dumping another driver to gain position, win a race, or, or any other way other than uh, using another his car to pass him. That's the byproduct of this parity problem as well. And I say it's a problem because when you're talking about drivers of very similar skill level and you give them cars that are all within, if they're, if they're driven perfectly, those cars are probably within a tenth of a second per lap of each other in terms of theoretical performance because there's very, very little difference between them. What other option does a driver have other than to use the bumper to shove somebody out of the way? And I'm not just, I, I highlighted Watkins Glen in Indianapolis because there were two recent events that had fans talking about it. But this has been kind of an issue ever since really the team has got their feet under them with the Gen 7 car kind of in the middle of last year and, and all through this year, where we do see a lot of action and after restarts and at some periods in the race. But then you get to the point where kind of the cream has risen to the top and there's really nothing that other teams can do other than hope the other guy makes a mistake, give him a mistake by shoving him out of the way, or 
just run where you're going to run because your car, there's nothing you can, you and your team can do to your car to adjust it, to gain the speed back that you need. Gone right now are the days where a crew chief and a team could work on a car and get it faster and find the several tenths of a second necessary to get that car the advantage to take the, take it from running the middle of the pack for most of the day and then put it up front by the end of the race. The only way they can do that right now is with pit strategy, running long, short pitting, things like that. But in terms of adjusting the car, they really don't have anything in their bag of tricks. And I think that's what I mean when I say NASCAR needs to open up the rule book a little bit and allowing these teams to do it. But I think they need to do it in a smart way. Remember a few years ago when they reduced the amount of wind tunnel time that the teams could have? I think that, uh, that helped a lot in terms of curtailing cost, but I don't think they went far enough in terms of limiting research and development the teams could do. So you saw the mega teams like Joe Gibbs Racing, Hendrick Motorsports, and others spending millions and millions of dollars on engineering, computer models, research and development, all to squeeze those tenths of a second out of there. Find some way to limit that, similarly to how NASCAR limited wind tunnel testing. Ban the use of computer models, ban the use of anything like that, and, and force the teams to use on-the-track testing trial and error, just like the old days, in order to find the setups that work. That'll help prevent the teams from spending an inordinate amount of money to effectively buy races by research and development process versus actually developing a car fast by having the driver drive the car and provide feedback. So I think that's kind of where we need to go there. Allow the teams to have a little bit more flexibility in terms of what they can do with the car. And I think that'll allow not only the best drivers to highlight themselves, but again, we talk about this being a team sport, allow the best team to put forth a good car and make those adjustments to the car during the race to make it better to contend for the wind at the end. Jay. Yeah, I, I think Mike's on to something. It, it's it, opening that up where the, the adjustments to the car during the race, where they got a little bit of wiggle room um, as far as that, or the, under the, with the setups. I am all in favor of the standardized parts because that's where a lot of the money uh, was being spent and, and things were being manipulated. Uh, you talk about the wind tunnel, t- the test, testing was one of the things they limited and, and took away from the teams. But we saw it with um, the way they were putting the car on the frame, the uh, what they call it, Craw- crawfishing or crabbing, when they were shifting the car. We saw it with Hendrick Motorsports out in California when they when they put a wave in the body. Those are the things absolutely I think they needed to restrict and say, okay, that's going to be standard. But then give them some room within it as what they can do as setups or adjustments they can make during the race. I mean, crew chiefs has said it. They're pretty much down to tire pressure is the only real adjustment they can make. Uh, a little bit still with the adjustment as far as the wedge and loosening or tightening the car, but that's pretty much it. And that's where I think that, that some uh, window could be opened a little bit. Now, as I said, if you, you open it up for them, you cross the line, you're going to pay for it. You're going to be penalized. You're going to be punished. I'm all for that. If the rule is this, no matter where it be, and you got an inch, you got an inch. You got two inches, you got two inches. If you go over that, it's going to cost you a race. Period, point blank, you're out. I'm all for that then. But give them at least some room to maneuver in so that everybody is not, as Mike said, identical where you're within a tent. Um, Now, again, some drivers um, were able to make passes, so I get it's possible 
But overall, you're talking about it being that close that it is really that tough to gain any kind of advantage. Okay, Andy. Uh, no follow-up. I'm all set on this one. <laughs> okay. Um, NASCAR is doing R&D. Uh, they have an R&D center, and they are looking at cars every single week uh, to see what's going on with the cars. Uh, they are looking at all of the issues that the drivers are bringing to them and seeing what they can do to resolve some of those issues. We've seen examples of that all season long. We've also seen examples of some really good racing without bumping and banging each other, uh, where it's been exciting to watch the drivers use their talent and win races. If you go back to ARCA, ARCA is racing the older cars that NASCAR from NASCAR. Uh, it might be a cup car, the old cup cars, the old Xfinity cars. They're racing those cars. They're not racing the Gen 7 car. And yet they are bumping and banging each other out of the races every single week. So it has nothing to do with the parity of the cars. I know the drivers use that as an excuse. Um, they say that it's the only way I can win. To me, that is saying I don't have the confidence that I can win this race, so the only way I can win is to knock out a competitor. And they're admitting it has nothing to do with their talent. The talented drivers are winning races all the time, and it's exciting to watch when talented drivers win races. So I that's what I want to see in racing. I don't want to see them. Um, you know, I remember last year Ty Gibbs saying I had to do it because I, I had to get that win. Well, no, he didn't have to get that win. He was already in the playoffs, uh, and it wasn't a necessity. He could have taken a second-place finish. Um, it, it's that they don't like losing. No driver likes the idea of losing, but there are some drivers out there that have the mentality that they want to win a race by using their talent. There are other drivers out there that say, I don't care if I wreck my mama to win a race. I'm going to wreck somebody if I have to win, if it's the only way I can win a race. I don't agree with that mentality. Um, I don't think that you have to wreck another driver to win a race. You can settle for a second. I know that you've got sponsors you have to speak to. I know that you've got an answer to your team. I was disappointed that Dale Earnhardt Jr. stood on national TV as a broadcaster and made the statement, he made the statement that, uh, the only way somebody was going to win that race is if they knocked Ty Gibbs out of the race. That is not what a broadcaster should be saying on national TV. I don't care if it's Dale Earnhardt Jr. or anybody else. A broadcaster should not be saying, and keep in mind, this is the owner of the number one car in the Xfinity series. An owner should not be telling uh, drivers on national TV that they need to knock the lead driver out of the way to win a race. I, I'm disappointed in that. 
Um, and I know we're talking Xfinity series and not the Cup series, but that's where a lot of this mentality comes from. And I, I, I don't like it. I, I think it's the wrong mentality um, as far as winning races. And I know it's close. I know there's parity. Is I know it's harder. You are the premier series of NASCAR. We expect more out of you. You're going to have to use strategy. You're going to have to use uh, creativity. Uh, but it's going to have to be within the bounds that NASCAR has set. And everybody's on the same playing field, so you're going to have to think differently. And that's what I'm looking for from the leadership of the teams, from the leadership of NASCAR, and from everybody else. <laughs> the leadership says drivers. There are drivers out there doing it, and there are drivers out there that aren't doing it. So if there are drivers that are passing, what are you doing that's not allowing you to pass? Why is Michael McDowell able to make those passes, and you personally are not able to make those passes? What is it that the drivers that are winning races and using their talent, what are they doing that you're not doing when you've got to knock your competitor out of the way to win the race? There's something wrong with that thinking. It's seriously the wrong way to think about winning races as far as I'm concerned. So, Mike, you get the final word. So if we're just going to have a spec car with – NASCAR doing the R&D and everyone's going to have the same thing and they really can't do much for adjustment or setup, why bother? Why bother having race teams? Why bother having crews? Why bother having crew chiefs? Why not we just well, go call IROC or SRX? That's, kind of, that's, that's where we're headed at right now with, with restricting with the, the teams so you have to work with this issued spec car and you can't make any changes to it. And I think as we saw this with the previous car where they'd make a rules package change and the racing would improve for a while and then everyone would kind of settle into where they were because they were, they were still in the same confined box, whether it was the spec car Gen 7 or the Gen 6, they would just settle into that confined box and, and the racing would just become progressively worse single-file racing. I think a lot of that has to do with reducing the amount of tools in the tool bag of these teams. I think there's smarter ways to do it other than just saying you can't change anything. You have to run everything as it's issued, as it comes out of the, uh, out of the manufacturer's box. I think there are smarter ways to do it, and I think that that avenue should be explored a little bit more vigorously, and I know we're kind of short on time, so I'll wrap it up. Okay. I do think there's tools in the toolbox. They're just not using them. Okay. Um... Let's go ahead and do our roundtable, and Jay, we'll start with you. Uh, you can follow me on Facebook, Michael Hoosman, MoparMJ8 on Twitter and Instagram. And Thursday will be on for the preview show podcast, and I will be on time. <laughs> that would be nice. Thank you. Uh, Andy? CB14 uh, fan on Twitter and uh, good to be on tonight's show. And I'm not sure what's going to happen with Thursdays yet, but we'll consider it to be determined. Okay. Uh, Mike? 
can be Mike underscore is on Twitter, Mike double underscore O on Reddit. Had a good time at Daytona earlier in the month. Had a good time racing at the SECA Autocross this past weekend. Well, it's time to pay the piper. I'm at work for the next two weeks. I am going to be on call, so I'm, I may or may not be available for the races, uh, for the racing show, radio show. Excuse me. Um, so consider me TBD. I look forward to talking to y'all either this coming Thursday or whenever the next time it is. Okay. Well, uh, I appreciate the heads up there on uh, on uh, both counts here, or all three counts. Um, I am fan for racing site on Twitter and fan for racing uh blog and radio everywhere else on Facebook as well as our fan uh fan for racing website. Um I really enjoy the conversation here even though we don't always agree. I do think that uh we give a lot of really good feedback for fans to consider as they form their own opinions. Um so with that uh a big shout out to our fan for racing crew here uh, Sal, Jay, Andy, Mike, I appreciate each and every one of you. And uh, I know uh, Brian has said that he's going to put out an article here on Austin Sindrick, uh sometime soon, so do watch for that as well. And uh, also a big shout-out to our listeners for tuning in. We appreciate each and every one of you as well, whether you're listening to the live broadcast or our podcast. Uh, we appreciate you taking the time to hear what we have to say. We enjoy doing the show, and uh, we hope you enjoy listening as well. So with that, I think we're ready to call it a wrap, guys. Good night, everybody. Good night. Ryan here and I have a question for you what do you do when you win like are you a fist pumper a woohooer a hand clapper a high fiver I kind of like the high five but if you want to hone in on those winning moves check out Chumba Casino at ChumbaCasino.com choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes there are new game releases weekly plus free daily bonuses so don't wait start having the most fun ever at ChumbaCasino.com no purchase necessary BGW void prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus